This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off. No survivors left. gonna die. Wait, don't shoot! Down! I lost all my men because of her! All is lost. Cries of agony. Stars. Unity breeds power. I'm Reva DePala, the voice of Rebecca Chambers. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. I'm Ed Smarin, the voice of Barry Burton. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Home. A welcoming place. A haven of safety and warmth. Where families meet for laughter and feasts. Where friends and strangers are welcomed to the family. Hey guys, my name is Sarah Coates, the voice of Marguerite Baker in Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. And you are listening to Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Want to come to dinner? Rise and shine, sleepyhead. It's time for supper. <laughs> Eat it. It's good. Dumb son bitch wasn't no good if it hit him. Lucas! Get out the way, Marguerite. Hit boy's got to eat. He got to have his supper. Let's do this. Come on. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. This evening, we've invited to dinner a very special guest, the multi-talented Sarah Coates, actor for Resident Evil 7 antagonist Marguerite Baker. Preceding our exclusive interview and Resident Evil file readings with Scream Queen Sarah Coates, we'll debate and review Resident Evil 7 with our largest panel to date from our survival horror community website. But right now, we enter Hell's Kitchen for another Crimson Head Elder exclusive podcast interview. When not battling her way through a zombie apocalypse in television's hit zombie series Z Nation on the wonderful horror and sci-fi network SYFY, this evening's guest can be seen more serenely on the big screen playing Savannah in Lynn Shelton's romantic comedy Laggies. 
highly experienced theatre actor with many of Shakespeare's classics under her belt, a theatre degree graduate from the University of Washington, and with many other highly trained skills to her bow, including comedian, writer, and stilt walker. Um, (laughs) So extremely kind to grace us so soon after the release of the epic Resident Evil 7, actress for the matriarch from hell, Marguerite Baker. Sarah (laughs) Sarah Coates, welcome to the ninth Crimson Head Elder podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You have no idea. This is so exciting. (laughs) I'm George Trevor from England, and with me, we've got the Oracle Dragon from the site over in Pennsylvania. That I am, and I'm surviving a snowstorm. (laughs) And there's no zombies in sight, which is a good thing. Thank goodness. Sarah, you've been so generously kind to accept these questions from your fans from all over the globe, uh, your Resident Evil fans, your Z Nation fans. So I'll hand over to the Oracle Dragon for the first question. Yay. First question's from me, of course. Did Capcom ever show you any concept art to get a general idea who she is? We did see some art, which was really exciting. She looked terrifying. (laughs) So, but it kind of, it gave me an idea of age, you know, also how the person would walk, um, being an older woman. And I, I, I assumed that she ran the house and she did all the cleaning. And, and so it just kind of put all the pieces together when I saw what she looked like as well. Cause I could kind of figure it out from her lines and her, her dialogue, which was so crazy, but it was, it was interesting to see just a still photograph of her. She's gorgeous. <laughs> she was before she got changed. <laughs> before she turned terrifying. So after we would do some mocap, we would later go in and do some VO stuff in the studio and they would show us really raw images of the game and then we would put the two together. So, you know, if a scene that I physically couldn't do because I was changing into this monster, then I would watch the footage and then just do voiceover for that. This is obviously two years prior to yes. release, but you, you were able to see with a boss battle where some yes. of the lines are really quite emotional, to say the least. You were able to see scenes from that. Yes, and then scenes, you know, in the different options, like dying. It was very strenuous on my voice. I remember we had to push a day because I had lost my voice completely. Um, wow. <laughs> one day just going after it and and it's interesting when someone tells you to be a monster how you're like okay let me try to figure this out and then your voice just goes away so during that boss battle there's sound manipulation with with the lines yeah. when marguerite's in her mutated state so were you asked to bear that in mind and to, to, to voice it in quite a different way to let's say where marguerite's hunting you down and, and, and shouting profanities and still just as intense but not in that kind of mutated form Absolutely. I, I know they added, you know, they, they changed it a bit, but we, we did go into a lower register, yeah. really try and get this monster voice out. And Navid is really fun, the, the director, because he would be in the booth trying, like, if you really wanted, like, a lower register, he would do it. And we would, like, kind of <laughs> go back and forth being like, ah, ah, like, just screaming <laughs> together to figure out where, where we wanted it to go. Marguerite. Open up. Found another one. I'm coming. Oh. Oh, she's so young. Yeah. 
How's our other guest? Sleeping, poor thing. Oh, I say let him. He'll be okay here for a few days. Leastwise, till we can get him into town. Zoe, go get some fresh clothes from the laundry room, okay? Oh, looks like there's some sort of oil yeah. spill or something. Yes. Let's get this poor girl some fresh clothes and into a warm bed. Mm. We'll put her in Lucas's old room. Oh, come on, kid. You put her somewhere else? Oh, Lucas, you just hush. You've long outgrown that room. Always wanted to run a bed and breakfast. <laughs> you got your big break, didn't you? <laughs> get her to bed. I'll put some soup on. Ugh. Good enough for soup, don't you think? Excuse me, Lucas. What the hell's going on? Mama, is that you? Zoe, come look. Come see her gift. Look at all the pretties my little girl has given me! Kiss me, lover! Get to the garage! Get some rope! Go now! When I got the call for the audition, it was very secretive. I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know what it was for a year and a half, at least. And we signed many non-disclosure agreements and we couldn't tell anyone what we were doing. And so when I auditioned, I originally auditioned for Zoe and I have a very strong presence, apparently. And so she said, um, I'm going to have you read for the mother. And I was like, great, totally wonderful. They wanted us to use the entire room and to get really creepy. And actually, at one point, they just said, hey, you're going to turn into a monster. And I was like, cool. Yes, great. I'll do that. <laughs> Theater background, improv background helped out with that. And then in the audition process, they also had us reading the dinner scene with the other actors. So I had met the actors that I ended up working with because we all auditioned together. It's interesting because we often hear, and it sounds like such a shame that some of these wonderful actors that are brought together never really even get to meet each other and, and don't get to play off each other and see each other's reactions and, and facial expressions, I would have thought would help with the performance. So it, it's great to hear that you guys actually did work together on, on such an iconic scene. Oh, yeah. And, and we actually had uh, about a week of rehearsals before we actually filmed it. And we had a, a vocal coach come in and they were really focused on the performances, which I thought was extremely exciting because I've done voiceover work before where you go into a booth and they just throw lines at you and, you know, you don't really get to think about it. You just do it and it's your job and you leave. And this was we worked really hard and worked together and it was it was exciting. And there was mocap work involved in that scene as well, wasn't there? Yes, absolutely. We did quite a bit of mocap work, which was exciting because it was my first time doing a full body motion capture. And it's, you know, with the big, uh, the camera on the front and your face all having the dots. I, there's probably real words for these. Words. <laughs> um, no, it's at this yeah. stage, I have to try and find, articulate a way that's not creepy to at least put you at rest and, and say that you certainly don't look like your character in, in, <laughs> in the game. 
it's funny that you say that because when I see pictures of her in the game, I'm like, oh, that looks like me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Work on your self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks really cool. I was like, oh, wow, I look wonderful. And I like to play, I like to consider myself a chameleon. I like to play different ages. It's a challenge. And what's interesting about the group that we had, we all were not necessarily the age of our character. So it was kind of, it was really interesting to mm. dive into these characters knowing that none of us really look like them. You had to change your thought process in tackling the role because, you know, I'm looking at Evelyn and she is this like gorgeous woman who's playing a child. So it's this, it's, you know, it just kind of, it messes with you a little bit. Right after this job, I went into House of Moves where we filmed this, and they had me come in for to play Barbie's best friend, Harper. <laughs> so I, so, <laughs> quite a, quite a change. Oh, my gosh. Screaming these profanities and just go insane. <laughs> and then the next time I go in, I'm like this. I'm like the 16-year-old girl who plays like Barbie's best friend and we talk about hair. So... We'll come on to Marguerite's potty mouth. Um, yeah, it must have been very cathartic, some of those lines. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And it was great. Naveed, who was the director, he also did Grand Theft Auto. He was really open to allowing us... Because um, sometimes when people write a script, it's not necessarily how you would say it. And so he would let us work on the lines, change them a bit if we wanted to, and then kind of improvise. So if I wanted to swear more if, or if something happened in the oh. scene. Oh, that's interesting. We've got a question that will come on to that. Now, our second question, which comes from Sarah L.Y. from your part of the world over in Los Angeles, she references actually the very iconic dinner table experience. And she wanted to know if Capcom furnished you with any reference materials. She suggests the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, well, controversially or not controversially, she asked about the new Trump administration, if if that was reference material. (laughs) Crimson Elder from Wells, he also wanted to know along those lines, so during that family dinner sequence, the Bakers have a very close resemblance to the family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and during the bedroom DLC, he feels there's a very strong vibe of Kathy Bates, The Misery. Were you aware of any of this, and were these some reference materials that maybe you were furnished with or you thought about during your performance? Absolutely. Um, I'm a huge horror movie fan. They didn't give us materials saying like, hey, this is who you are. But we definitely sat down with the director and, and the producers and we kind of discussed who the family was and that they were at one time normal. They were a loving family that lived this backwoods life. And We did discuss Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was two years ago, so the Trump administration. (laughs) If we filmed it now, performance would probably be a lot scarier. (laughs) (laughs) And I definitely thought of Kathy Bates. So we, um, when we filmed that, that was definitely something that Naveed talked to me about and kind of gave notes about of going from seeming very kind and then just flipping a switch and becoming absolutely insane. So that was really fun to work with. Stressful, but fun to work with. 
You mention the high production values in, in, in the, vo- the voice acting and the focus that was on that. That doesn't come as a surprise because I don't know if you would have been aware of this before and, and maybe if you had been, it, it, I would imagine quite daunting to know that this arguably would be the first instalment in the Resident Evil series where the voice acting is so vital to the gameplay. This is a return back to the slower pace, the survival horror. So to have gameplay where you're not reliant on shooting your way through and actually the the only way to survive is to hide from the antagonist, that scene where you're hiding from Marguerite and the delivery of your lines, if you don't get those lines graphic and as resonating as as they were, the gameplay falls on its ass. Mm -hmm. So it was just a real testament to your delivery that that gameplay worked. When I think back and how we weren't told what it was, what we were doing for such a long time, I think that kind of was a positive because we weren't, there wasn't any stress on us. It was just, you guys are playing these characters and we were so immersed in who they were. You know, we knew it was a horror game and we had somewhat of idea. um, For a while we tossed around, do you think it's Silent Hill? Do you, you know, do you think, and we kind of guessed, but then we just kind of did our job. And I think that lends to... You know, there was no stress on our backs because we went in and we we worked really hard and we created these characters. And for me, it almost felt like a really long play that I was doing. <laughs> like I would go in like a week, a month and, and just really immerse myself into this crazy woman. And it was really fun and exciting. So it was just... I'm glad that there wasn't any of that pressure. <laughs> but I do know that it was such a, a comeback I wouldn't consider myself a gamer. I would consider myself gamer adjacent. My brother, he's five years older. His name is John. He's the best. I used to watch him play Contra. Like we would watch the old games like Donkey Kong Country was one of my favorites to just watch him. that's a great game. Yeah. And Contra as well. I'm a big Contra fan. Yes. And I know Riva De Paola who plays Rebecca Chambers. She mentioned Contra as well. We're in great company when we've got a voice actor that knows about Contra. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's because of my brother. And my mom actually let us stay home from school one day, I remember, to let my brother beat Mario Brothers. He was about to beat Bowser, and she was like, all right, you don't have to go to school today. So <laughs> I love watching them. I And I love playing, and I think we talked about this before, but like side-scrolling left to right, jumping over things. But the 3D world is just so different for me, but I love watching it. So it was exciting and I knew of Resident Evil and I remember watching people play it and being terrified and so to be a part of it is really very cool. And correct me if I'm wrong, you've done some voice work in Mario Kart, would I be right to think that? I did, yes. It was one of those things, I lived in Seattle and and I went in and they just had me do like boop, 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 like make crazy <laughs> So it's one of those where you just kind of get like extra work. Um, <laughs> You know, well, that was great. <laughs> so yeah, I've done little stuff. I've never had an actual character in a game before. Yeah. Going on from there, Vito, yeah. he wanted to know what inspired you in this performance. You're known to have for the Southern accent and obviously your work on Z Nation as well. So with those in mind and other things, other inspirations perhaps that you had for this performance? I just was so excited to play a villain. I normally play quirky friends or crazy weird like I always play an odd character but it was so exciting to play a normal woman who's changed so inside she's fighting so yeah like we spoke about before like Kathy Bates in Misery was really someone I I looked at or you know in the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 
Morpheus Duvall from Brazil. He says, This is awesome. I can't wait to hear from the actor behind the voice. I'm not kidding. I had to turn my lights on all the way through the scenario with Marguerite. I still can't get her screaming out of my head. It haunts me to this day. Would Sarah <laughs> consider reading Margaret's files to hear that voice again to bring the files to life would be intense. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. And then because I haven't played the game yet, I just read the files, which are really exciting. So, you know, maybe I might just do that. And now for a Crimson Head Elder exclusive, as we present Sarah Coates, the actress for Marguerite Baker, reading in character as Marguerite from the files of Resident Evil 7. Listen to our star guest masterfully portray the torment suffered as Marguerite Baker struggles to understand the profound changes ravaging her mind and body. Listen now to Sarah Coates' in-character recording of the Resident Evil 7 file, Marguerite's Notebook. October 11th. My ears have been ringing all day and I haven't been able to sleep since that child showed up. It's like Zoe says, there's something strange about the child and the woman she brought with her. October 15th. I'm seeing things. Hearing things. Can't stop feeling nauseous. I went to the doctor in town and he gave me an x-ray. What's happening to me? October 23rd. The child gave me a present. October. I put the present in a secret room right in the back of the second floor where nobody will find it. The arm is a sign of the child's trust. That arm will lead us to happiness. And anyone who corrupts that happiness, I won't allow them to live. Stay tuned for a further wonderful in-character reading of another iconic Resident Evil 7 file performed by Sarah Coates exclusively for the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Crimson underscore Head and our YouTube channel Crimson Head Elder TV for more in-character recordings of iconic Resident Evil files from across the series by Capcom's official actors. And now, back to the Oracle Dragon and our exclusive interview with Sarah Coates. Dice Gamers and Hank Foreman both have a similar question. How did you prepare before delivering Marguerite's lines? Were there any films to watch, games to play, and or books to read to prepare yourself for this role? Just loving the horror genre, even like with Z Nation and, and just these crazy heightened situations. And for Marguerite, every line was almost do or die. It was insane, but she thought she was sane kind of thing. So it was, you know, back to Kathy Bates. And I didn't realize how strenuous this was going to be, especially doing motion capture. And um, after the first day, I like went home, I got a migraine. I was like, this is going to be difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you mentioned about being out for a day. And and, and that was the thing that really first piqued my interest and my attention was when during that scene, when you're hiding from Marguerite, the, the, the torment 
as the duration increases and her her frustration increases uh, that she can't find you the torment in the lines and i really sat up and was like wow you know the, the, the this is real tormented emotion that i've not really heard before in a resident evil game on on that level from an antagonist and wonderful performance and that's what made the gameplay kept you wanting to hide from marguerite because yeah. uh, it's not just the way she looks it, <laughs> that voice really fills you with dread well, it's definitely a testament to Naveed, the director, of allowing us to go there. It wasn't just like, hey, we need to get these lines. We need to um, do this quick and get it over with. We really, you know, he gave us the time we needed. Uh, I am definitely an, an actor who puts all of my emotion and I really go there. And, it, you know, sometimes it hurts me emotionally. <laughs> And, you know, if if she's frustrated and she's crying, I'm frustrated and I'm crying. Them allowing us to do that in the video game setting, I think, is what made the performances by everyone seem yeah. so realistic because we were we were allowed to do that. Because a lot of the time when you go in and you do voiceover work, it's just in and out quickly. They don't have a lot of time in the studio. And this was really a group effort and hilariously a family effort because we did play off each other, which was great. Joey! Family comes first, is what I say. Oh, that Evelyn. Such a sweet little thing. Sorry, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Stay away! Don't touch her! Don't hurt my family! I don't understand, Mama, what's going on? Here! Take it! Take it! Go! Don't worry, Mama. I'll go get help. A lot of the plates and carrying out food that was there but i was told that like for the bug there wasn't an actual bug yeah after you deliver your first line it's great and that's the thing that you can really come through the motion caption work is it's so subtle and, and realistic is when you kind of you slap your neck yeah. crawling, and you can really feel it the bugs crawling all over your skin it's great work thank you thank you yeah that was part of you know we rehearsed that we they told us there were bugs on us and it was just <laughs> and then we also got to improvise a little bit so it was, it was great yeah, because there's one part where Jack will actually said, I will crush you like a bug. <laughs> and I true, thought, wait a minute, she smacked a bug on a table and ate it. He says this, and then next thing you know, you find her later covered in bugs. Oh! <laughs> my thought is she smacked I, it and just, like, put it away. Like, it would lived in her. That was my... Like, oh, you can hear the crunch, crunch, crunch. It's like, oh, okay. I'm terrified of every insect. Oh my god. I don't know if you've seen it right the way through. I, I wouldn't recommend watching the boss battle with Marguerite. I mean, it's, oh quite, oh, it's quite gruesome. I, I kind of want to play the... I haven't played it yet. And I want oh. to video myself playing it. Face capture too. <laughs> yes. Catch your reaction like... <gasps> oh. As much as I say I love horror movies, I'm also terrified of them. And I love being scared. So I'm, I'm really excited to... Oh, well, you'd love this game. The real heightened tension and suspense yeah. and and horror as well that's been missing in previous titles so yeah.
that leads us nicely into a question from Robert Kendo over to the Oracle Dragon that's got that one. Robert Kendo from Michigan says, let me start by saying bravo, bravo. You did an excellent job. Resident Evil has a new way of adding actual people into their games rather than just voice acting, creating a more lifelike experience. With this addition comes the need for not only voicing the character, but also becoming the character. What has the experience been like for you? Did you find it difficult acting in motion capture, or did you enjoy it? I loved the experience. When you're doing film, there's this need to always worry what you look like. And, you know, there's, and I love getting my hair and makeup done, don't get me wrong. But going in and your main job is to play the character and become the character and not worry about, do I look okay? Are things... Is there something weird on my face? Is my hair out of place? And to just be fully immersed in, especially like Marguerite's crazy, in and then having the character's image put on top of my performance. So that was, it was almost a relief in a way. And I definitely loved the experience and I would love to do it all the time. <laughs> Excellent. Yay. I can imagine that motion capture would have been quite demanding. It is. And what's interesting that I didn't really realize about motion capture is there is the technical element. So yes, you are performing, but say, let's go to the scene where the character's in bed and I'm haunting him and switching from terrified to angry to sad and going through all these emotions. If I accidentally like knock off a sensor on my on my motion capture suit, we have to stop and, and you know and redo the scene. So there is very much a technical aspect in the sense of so if I'm killing if I have a knife in my hands and I have to stab in his face, I have to do it in a certain way. It took a while to get used to that pace of we had to run through the technical part first and then I had to prepare for the performance and then add the technical part to the performance. So it was daunting. It, it was it was difficult, but it was worth it in the end, I hope. And I don't know if, if it helps you as an actor to voice the lines whilst you're in motion or do you then voice the lines in, in separately in a sound booth? We do it while we're in motion. Oh. Yeah, so we do the whole thing. We have our motion capture suit, our camera, and our our audio equipment on. So everything's on. I'd imagine that would maybe aid your performance as opposed to being isolated in a booth and, and, and maybe constrained and not being able to kind of, you know, really get into the role. Absolutely. 100% agree. That's why I feel like the performances were very um, heightened. They were very big. This comes from the Oracle Dragon, who would like to know, what were the challenges of voicing such a character? Was it particularly difficult? Absolutely. It, and it surprised me how difficult it was. And the character who played Jack, his name is Jack, which was easy for me to remember. Because <laughs> sometimes when you're working on a play, you end up calling the person by their character name a lot. But Jack and I, we both, after maybe the first week or two, we were like, this is really hurting our voices <laughs> because it was so strenuous. And Jack is in a band in real life and he's a singer and he was giving me like a more vocal warm-ups to do. And it was just extremely challenging to, because when I auditioned, I didn't know that this character turned into a monster and having to find that. And I love zombie films and of course, Sea Nation. And so Knowing those zombie noises and using those, it's really strenuous and hard on your vocal cords. So it was a lot harder than I thought, but it was 
it got easier after a while. <laughs> I figured out how to not hurt myself. And now, on the Crimson Head Elder podcast, we proudly present another in-character exclusive file reading by our star guest, Sarah Coates. Sarah Coates, exclusively reading in character as Marguerite Baker from the Resident Evil 7 file, Marguerite's Warning. Zoe, you tried to sneak up to the second floor again, didn't you? Did you think I wouldn't notice? Even after all that happened to Evelyn, you just keep talking about some strange medicine... And what are you planning to do with my altar? You better keep those sticky fingers off of it. Nobody touches my sacred altar. You, you think your father and I are idiots, you spoiled, pathetic child. I wish you'd never been born. Unforgivably pathetic, yet always looking down on us and trying to leave our home. After everything I've done for you. You pathetic, pathetic, pathetic. If you ever touch my altar, I will slice off your chest and I will serve it up as a pot roast. Ellen Wenpei Mao, he asks, What direction, if any, did you receive directly from the Japanese director and or the producer? We definitely had the Japanese directors and producers there. And it was really fun to, after we do a scene, we'd all kind of look over at them to see if we did okay. <laughs> but they they were worked really well with Naveed. And it was just kind of like a big team and a big family. And there wasn't any specific direction that I can think of that they gave us. They were just really impressed and kind and positive about our performances and the creepier the better which which was fun and they would do they would kind of give us line reading sometimes especially with um i remember with the marguerite scene where the character's laying in bed the game player's laying in bed and stabbing him and they would they would give me examples of how they wanted me to stab and it was very fun to to try and give them what they wanted i miss them (laughs) sleep well darling Our daughter really likes you. She wants you to be her big brother. Oh, now don't get too excited. Don't jump up and down just yet. You want to be part of this family, you gotta eat like family. Mmm, that smells good, don't it? You eat all this and you can be one of us. Then I'll take those things off and you can go out and play. But you gotta eat all of it. Come on now, eat up. I made that just for you. Wow, this this looks delicious. Really, it, it looks great. Oh, good. I'll be back in a little bit to check on you. Wait, is there anything else to eat? Ugh, why are you so stubborn? You better eat or I'm going to shove it down your throat. You don't need nothing else. Now eat your goddamn supper.
Greg from New Jersey, his sentiment I wanted to just read to you, he says, well done, well done, Marguerite gave me more chills than any other antagonist in the game, you own this role. So is Marguerite in fact your favourite character from Resident Evil 7, if not, who is and why? Of course Marguerite is my favourite character. (laughs) (laughs) I just love, and I I haven't played it yet, so I can't give a 100% answer, but I... I really love Jack's voice as well and uh, the character who played Lucas because we were together so much. It was so fun to hang out with them and play with them. And they are, they're all theater actors and been in the business a long time. So it was very fun to just play with these really professional, talented guys. And, and I also love the Mia character. I never yes. get to play the damsel in distress. So, I... <laughs> But interestingly, you auditioned for her as well, you mentioned. Yes, I did. But I loved her voice. I loved how she could go from going into that zombie monster character. And she is incredible as well. It's after she's been chainsawed and, and she's sort of talking also almost mockingly, lovingly. And then she goes into this, you know, that fucking her. And yeah, just within one sentence, the, the tone changes. It's quite fantastic. Oh, yeah. And she's incredible. We both have worked at Disney World before, which is really funny. She, <laughs> we're both in the early 2000s, we were both face characters at Walt Disney World. And so she has this like princess face. And to see her change from, you know, this sweet, beautiful voice girl to this terrifying monster. And she also does a lot of special effects makeup and she does some scary stuff. She's, she's a really great girl and very talented. So professional. She's incredible. Nemesis from Brazil, he asks, Resident Evil 7 sets the bar for voice acting work. The cast did an awesome job. This was the best example of the art the series has offered to date. Sarah Coach, you did an insane job producing the most hideous, scary voice. Uh, My question is, where did you find those tones? They sound like they came from an actress much older. And with video game experience, I noticed that this was your first time voice acting in in the video game genre. Yeah, I, you know, I've always been a fan of crazy voices and, and goofy voices. And I've just my entire life have, you know, I love doing accent work. And so it, it was extremely fun to find where her voice sat on my register. Kind of, this is going to sound horrible, but a little, she's like a Southern version of my mom. (laughs) Yelling at me as a kid. She would just go into this lower tone (laughs) and it would terrify me. And so I kind of, and my mom's from the Midwest. So she has this, oh my gosh, Midwestern accent. And so I, you know, instead of that, I went into the, the Southern, she's basically a Southern, my mom. But a monster. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would like to meet your mom. She sounds quite intimidating. <laughs> she's actually. You better very... hope she's not listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> she's probably well. She's very sweet and like the kindest woman in the world. But if she yells at you, you know that you've messed up. You know you've so... been yelled at. 
sweet, kind woman, but when you did something wrong, you didn't put your dishes away, you didn't put your laundry away, she would let you know. <laughs> Great time to come to this question, which which goes oh. back to perhaps where Marguerite maybe resembled a more sweeter lady. The Oracle Dragon's going to ask you what one of my favourite questions that's coming. Yeah. Oracle? We never seen a human side of her, unlike the rest of the family. How do you think Marguerite would have been in the scene where Jack sanely reveals the truth to Ethan? Would you be willing to do a voiceover of this part with a sane Marguerite instead of Jack? Oh, that would be awesome. And it's it's a beautiful scene. It would be exciting to explore. And I was so impressed with Jack's work on that scene. There are definitely moments where you see that she's hurting. And I feel that that, that pain is a struggle inside of her of, you know, she's being changed by the virus. But I think that she's a sweet... She was a sweet woman that just did everything for her family. And I think that shows with how she treats these these bugs now that are her family. So I think that her love of family, in whatever sense, if that's her real family or these bugs, is is who she is. So I think part of her remained, even though she transformed into this monster. So that's where I think she came from. It really is wonderful just to hear an actor who really understood the role because that really that come that torment as i said comes through in the lines you you can hear that pain that anguish when she's screaming out at you as as, as you're hiding Mm -hmm. and you can hear she almost in her voice sounds betrayed and screams at mir for being so ungrateful and and you can yeah she really feels betrayed yeah and i think that that is a testament to who she was and and this struggle in my mind playing marguerite the virus was something that slowly attacked her and slowly took away the way she normally thought. And, and so for me, it was, it was an inner struggle of, of that change. And so with those moments of, of pain and distress, it was also like an inner struggle for her because of course she doesn't want to be changing, but these things are so terrifying. So um, that's kind of where I went with it uh, in my mind to get to that performance. James Marcus from Columbia, he asks, I'm a big Z Nation fan, and yet I would never have placed that voice emanating from Marguerite as the very same lady behind Magnificent Serena. I have to ask, how did your time on Z Nation help with the role of Marguerite? Uh, What crossovers did you encounter between a TV show zombie fest and a video game zombie fest? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love this question. Thank you, James. I think... Just the craziness from each show. Z Nation is a crazy, you never know what to expect. There's comedy, there's there's tears. And my character in Z Nation, Serena, aka Pie Girl, she's a nut and really passionate about the apocalypse and has this will to survive. Um, and I think I kind of took that will to survive to Marguerite, not knowing what was going on with her. She's changing, she's scared, and but she has to survive. And even if it's surviving as the villain, and then she needs to take care of her family. Serena and Z Nation gives birth to a hybrid zombie baby. And I think that her number one priority is to protect and take care of her family. And that would be Murphy, um, her baby daddy, and her baby Lucy. And the same with Marguerite. Her number one priority is family. Yeah. And so even though the characters are vastly different in age and look and who they are, I think both of them 
focus on family first in their creepy, weird ways. Yeah. Focusing a little on that Serena character and the type of zombie show that C Nation is, I I was interested as an actor, is it quite challenging to cover quite demanding and serious subjects, being a lone surviving woman pregnant during an an apocalypse, whilst portraying that in a zombie show that, unlike others, doesn't take itself so seriously and and there is there are elements of comedy as well is it quite hard challenging to find where to gauge that performance it is but when you when you're surrounded by such a a team that knows deep down the show is about surviving so as long as you take the role and the character seriously so that i always like to think of the characters as real people and then all of this stuff just happens to them so i'm not playing a like a caricature of a human being i'm not playing an idea of a person or a stereotype of a person if you play that person realistically even if they're weird or crazy or insane it's going to make the character come off realistically which is important especially because i play a lot of character actors i play a lot of odd quirky people and i think the reason they work or they're so successful is because to me that is their reality. That is their norm. So, you know, Serena in Z Nation being so weird and such an odd duck, that's just how she's always lived. So she doesn't know any different. And so that's where I like to go to make them realistic because I consider myself a character actress. So taking these weird people that a lot of people don't want to play or can't play or are scared to play, that's always my challenge. I like playing vastly different characters. It's important to me to stretch my abilities as an actor and I feel so lucky to play vastly different characters but I like these characters and they actually get me so excited like when I first read Serena I was like "Ooh, I can play this absolutely and when I first was given Marguerite which was in the audition they're like hey here take this go outside you have like five minutes read this and then come back in when I read what she was saying it was terrifying and exciting and and you know I get to pull from scary or hard moments in my life and that's what I really like to do is to take you know anything negative that's happened to me and use it to make these people come alive. Well it really comes through in in this interview and fans who will follow our link to your official website will see as well from that that you very much embrace and very enthusiastic in in the whole zombie genre and and the horror genre. I've seen you've reached out to Italian fans proudly wearing your zombie Uh, (laughs) t-shirt. So I think I probably already know the answer to USS Command's question. He's from Kentucky and he wanted to know whether you you watch if you actually sit down and watch your work on Xena oh yeah i am a fan of the show so even if i'm not in an episode i still watch it i still live tweet it and the people on the show are my friends so it's kind of like watching your friends as well and and i am a fan of walking dead i i just love the zombie world in general i'm interested in that difference between the walking dead and the nation because I think it set itself out initially in the first season to be almost quite a, a high drama or trying to be the, you know, the high drama of the, of the zombie genre. It's arguable whether it sort of succeeded in that in certain areas. I think perhaps works better when you've got a show like Z Nation that doesn't try and take itself too seriously and so kind of doesn't open itself out to that criticism. It's interesting, there's one scene in The Walking Dead, an example of this, the episode No Way Out from season six, where Rick single-handedly 
decide sod this hiding from the zombies i'm just going to go out into a huge horde of them and just try and take them out whereas in the previous seasons of the walking dead he would he would have been bitten immediately that was the the narrative of the show suddenly out of the blue in this episode no way out they all come together and they all just hurl themselves into these huge hordes of zombies and that got criticized for just being completely ridiculous and completely contrary and illogical to anything that the show set up before and that mirrored, sorry, there is a question at the end of this, that, yeah. that mirrors your death scene in Z Nation, mm-hmm. where you come out, I wonder where it came from, this blood-curdling cry. You <laughs> get all the zombies' attention onto you, and you effectively do what Rick does. And again, because of, as I say, because the show doesn't try and take itself too seriously, I think actually that similar scene works better in Z Nation than it does in The Walking Dead. That's your death scene. Absolutely. And what, what, what is interesting and I think kind of lucky about Z Nation is that they, they because it doesn't take itself too seriously, we're, we're allowed to do more than, you know, Walking Dead is set in more of, I'm going to say, realism. Um, and the fans, like if something happens to these characters, the fans would just flip tables and like freak <laughs> out. And in Z Nation, it's kind of like, well, this is what happens. So... Again, I think the difference between those two scenes is Serena is saving her family. She's doing this for her family. And I think that Rick is just fed up. And he, Mm. you know, it's not like his baby is in the middle of the zombies and he has to go save it. And Serena is attracting these zombies to save her baby. So it makes more sense to me in that way. But I love The Walking Dead. So good. Albert Wesker187 says... I want to start off by saying this is an honor, a privilege, and a blessing to have you star on our podcast. A big thank you to the very beautiful and talented Sarah Coates for taking the time and her busy schedule to answer our questions. And his question is, what are the most common mistakes you believe that aspiring actors or actresses can make? He's going to love it when you were doing it. There's a reason why whenever we have a female voice actor, we don't let David on the show. <laughs> or we make sure he takes a cold shower before. Hello, David. <laughs> I will answer his question. Thank you for the question, David. Um, I think the most common mistake, and of course I've made it many times, is when people self-doubt. I truly believe that acting is a marathon, not a sprint. And when you have a success, people are like, assume that you just started doing this, but they don't realize that you've been acting for 15 years already or however many years you've been doing it. So you just can't quit because there's going to be ebbs and flows and it's going to be extremely difficult, but you have to focus on your work and your work is the character and portraying the character the best you can. So just not stopping. Before I did anything big, like before I got Laggies, which was played opposite Kira Knightley in that, I had been working for, I think, 11 years in theater and tiny commercials. And, you know, I just didn't stop. And I think that's the main mistake people make is they don't, is they quit because they think it's not going to happen. And you just have to keep going. And I think being easy to work with and saying yes, the best gigs or things that I love to work on, I've been asked to do because someone else has said, hey, Sarah is really easy to work with and she's fun to work with. That is like, I cherish that people say that because that's my main goal in life is to be fun and easy to work with and work with people I like. And so like at House of Moves, you know, I did Resident Evil and now I'm doing this Barbie 
thing. And but I'm working with the same people that worked on Resident Evil, and they're my friends now. So it, I feel lucky to work with people I care about. So just saying yes, even if it's a weird thing that you're not quite sure about. Like I didn't know what Resident Evil was. I didn't know for a year and a half what I was working on. It could have been anything, and it was crazy. So trusting my instincts and knowing that this was going to be something I was excited about. When did you find out that it was Resident Evil, not just any video game, but, you know, a video game celebrating its 20th anniversary? I know. Well, I knew it was a video game. Well, what was funny is all the cast members didn't work together all the time. So they were shooting and I wasn't there that day when they were kind of told, hey, it's Resident Evil. And then a few months passed and we'd still work together. And then someone brought it up and I was like, wait, this is Resident Evil? And someone was like, no. So I was the last person to know months before it came out. So I haven't actually known that long. We had guessed we'd kind of put two and two together because we didn't at first even know it was Capcom. Then we were we saw the script and then we signed all these non-disclosure agreements. So I didn't know for a very long time. But when I did find out, the first person I called was my brother because... <laughs> and then your cool status goes through the roof. <laughs> yes. And when I could finally tell him, and because I had to the secret for so long. And so I could finally be like, oh my gosh. And then I immediately ordered it on Amazon and sent it to him so he could <laughs> play it right away. And I wanted him to tell me, I wanted him to say, you killed me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, wonderful. Now, Albert Wesker187, he has another question. And it also kind of ties in with uh, Resi Evil Chick 99 who wanted to know, well, Albert first asks, what is your favorite show or project or, or even character uh, that you've either played or been associated with? And going on from that, Re- Resi Evil Chick 99, she wanted to know, what is your all-time favorite female villain? Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Okay, so first I would have to say because I played her for so long and I might play her again, is Serena from Z Nation. It's the genre I love. I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, so I love to be on the sci-fi network, to get to work on a zombie horror show. I love focusing on comedy, so it's like all these things I love. And I love Comic-Cons, and I love the ability to be able to, in the future, go to those. So it's just kind of like all around an incredible character that I got to kind of mold as well. Because when Serena was written, it was, she was written for one episode. So it was just this beautiful experience in general. I'm also in a movie coming out in March. It's called Lane 1974. And it's something completely opposite than what I've done in the past. I play a, a hippie in the 1970s. And it's just this really peaceful, kind earth flower child person that I, you know, when I got to go to San Francisco and I didn't shower for two weeks, it was like this extremely wonderful experience. That's actually based around family, isn't it? And that does seem like a very fascinating character. It really was. And I I normally play like these really like strong, aggressive characters, if you will. And so this character was Mm. dude. And so it was, it was almost difficult for me, but finding her was really fun. So those were my favorite. Okay. Now, oh my gosh, favorite villain, female. Hmm. I can't think of any. Give me some examples. I'm trying to think of. We've certainly got some very iconic female villains in Resident Evil. We've been very lucky to interview some of the actors that have played those, those female villains. You're putting me on the spot now. Oh, no, what is yours? <laughs> then we can have a discussion. 
Aaron, female villain. <laughs> you already know who she is, Alexia Ashford. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a very good one. I'm a huge Disney fan, of course, so I love, like, Ursula and Maleficent and those, like, boisterous, big, scary women. I'm also a huge Catwoman, but I like the the comic book female villains, for sure. Those Jack are... keeps calling you. He wants you back in the kitchen. <laughs> so that's what I would say. I would say, or Marguerite. Marguerite Baker from Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you asked what mine was, and I don't know if you know where I'm coming from. I was thinking of the Wizard of Oz oh. and the witch, the Wicked Witch of the West. I hear a little in your performance when there's a line when she screams, where are you going, Missy? And then there's this really evil, insidious laugh that resonates from you during one of the battle scenes with Marguerite, which again kind of almost had sort of, to me, reminiscent of, of the witch from Wizard of Oz. I don't know if I'm, I'm onto anything there. No, I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, when we were doing a lot of the laughing scenes, it was kind of, they just wanted different versions. You're probably right. That's probably where I got it because... I'm, you know, I'm a huge movie fan and I grew up watching television. So that's probably, that's probably, I just didn't realize that I was stealing her laugh. Pop nerd from Seattle asks, did your work on the trauma masterpiece, Junk Bonds, The Return of Junk Bucket, prepare you for your role in a cannibalistic backwards family? <laughs> and I would say 100% yes. <laughs> Hilarious, if you ever see it. My dearest friend, Steve Lang, it's from his mind. It's a tribute because he is a horror movie fan, the, the biggest horror movie fan I've ever met. And he wrote these movies as kind of a tribute to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is his favorite. You talk about Stephen Lang, the, the director. This film got many awards. The Audience Awards, Seattle True Independent Film Festival, Best Picture, Fright Night Film Fest gave it Best Slasher Film and Best Horror Comedy Feature. Stephen Lang, Best Director as well. So this chap clearly knows what he's doing. He absolutely does. It is, it is his genre. He owns it. He is so incredibly talented and his brain is insane. And if you ever want to watch a hilarious, gross, funny, and, and the people in these movies are the best actors in Seattle. He has gathered... <laughs> I heard a <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. They're right against the house right now. The best sound effect ever, a chicken in the background while having dinner with Marguerite. <laughs> we should have been eating. We should have had some sort yeah. of Yeah, oh, that would have been great. Don't take this the wrong way, Sarah, but I don't know if I'd have wanted you to cook, though. <laughs> no. And you know what? I don't cook anyway, so... I'm very... That's one of the bonus questions we could squeeze in if there was time. Uh, Resident Evil Chick 99 wanted to know whether you are a, a better cook than Marguerite. Probably not. I was... <laughs> I'm really good at breakfast foods. I can make eggs and toast and a delicious hash brown, but anything else, I just am not in the mood. <laughs> Anyway, before the rooster crowed, <laughs> Young Bucket is a, is a hysterical romp. And it was actually my first film that I ever did. I, wow. I had done improv in Seattle with, with these great people. And Steve Lang was just like, hey, I'm making this independent film. Do you want to be in it? This movie is ridiculous, hilarious, gross. And I, in this movie, play more of like a scream queen. So I didn't get to actually play one of these backwards characters. But I did get to 
almost be murdered by one. So it was, you know, it's very much that that Texas Chainsaw Massacre homage. This family is disgusting and crazy and murderous. So yes, I'm nerd of Seattle. It did. Now, we've come to the end of this very special interview. Sarah, thank you so very, very much. You've devoted so much of your free time to us. You've been so open, well, from the, from the very start of this, this experience when I first contacted you, these wonderful answers that, that you've given. Thank you so much, Sarah Coates. You've been wonderful. You really brought alive what was such an, an, an integral part of the of, of the series, such an important and significant one with this, you know, this return to survival horror roots, which put a bearing and put a significance on the delivery of your lines, which was, was so wonderful and tied in so well and made that atmosphere. Thank you so much for coming and speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. And I'm so glad that I can be a part of this game, this genre, that you guys love it so much because I'm the same. I love zombies. I love horror. And so I just feel so lucky to be able to speak with you guys. I think I fell asleep. Well, well, now, look who has decided to join us. Wake up and smell the shitty coffee, Zoe. Lucas. You okay, dear? There was a lot of excitement from that storm last night. I'm fine. I, I had the weirdest dream last night. There was this little girl. Well, now, after breakfast, uh, Lucas and I are going to have a look around and see if the storm did any damage. You two should have a look around the house. That's a good idea, Jack. You remember the last hurricane. We thought we were lucky. And the next time it rained, there was a mess for sure. Hello, sister. Greetings from the Crimson Head Elder Site Forum, where we've assembled a team of survival horror residents to debate and review the latest instalment in our beloved series, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Joining me, George Trevor, we welcome the loving zombie from England. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's me, yeah. Hello. Just across the border in sunny Wales, we have Crimson Elder. Hi, what's up? How's it going? All the way from Malaysia, we have CT. Hi. <laughs> and all hailing from Raccoon City's very own continent, North America, we have Yoke. Hey, yeah, I'm worried I'm going to say something really dumb and... It's not like this is going online, am I right, guys? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Jill Sandwich. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Albert Wesker187. How's it going, guys? And CC. Hi. So, without further delay, we'll go around the team to first discuss our initial thoughts, commencing with site administrator Crimson Elder. I was a bit disappointed. I think it's getting a bit overrated. People's reactions, like, it's as good as Remake, I think is total crap. I'd like to maybe give it some time. I think people should give it some time, let it percolate. Like, I think comments like 10 out of 10 and as good as Remake is a bit premature. I think the game fell on its ass towards the end, especially the end boss. Yeah, you don't sound too impressed with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. quite down on it. Yeah, I am really down on it. It's like I played it three times and I'm done. And that was in the first week. Yeah, three times, man. I just don't want to play it again. I just can't find the urge to fucking put it on. Yesterday, I found myself playing Umbrella Corpse. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All the Resident Evil games. How would you no, do that to yourself? 
in a nutshell, I think Umbrella Corps has got a better story. <laughs> oh. I'm serious. I'm serious. Hear me out. If you are to choose, right, forget everything you know about RE7 and Umbrella Corps. All you've got is a basic, in a nutshell, story, right? You've got a game which is about mercenaries researching, gathering data in an infected area, and they report that data back to a company. You've got that game, or you've got a game about a little BOW girl who wants a mammy. What game do you want to play? <laughs> Perhaps to counter that review, does anyone else? Yo, can you muster a bit more positivity for the game? Yeah, I, I can do a little bit more positivity, uh, <laughs> I, I suppose. Going into Resident Evil 7, I was not thrilled to play it. I liked the demo, but some of the things Capcom did with the demo I did not like. On the PlayStation versions, they prevented you from using the uh, dummy finger to actually solve puzzles and that. I was really worried they were going to pull something like that, and glad they didn't. Everyone thought, what the hell does this finger do? But... Yeah, I think that's a little dishonest for them to do that. Granted, from a marketing point, that's pretty good because mm-hmm. that keeps people talking about it. But Yeah, it was uh, definitely a marketing technique, definitely. And also the um, puzzle to get the dirty coin. I thought they were going to do something like that as well. And I'm so glad they didn't get that. I did get spoiled about the ending, and that pissed me off pretty good. So I, I wasn't looking forward to playing the game, but I think all in all, it's a good game. It's not great. It's no means a great game. It's a good, casual Resident Evil game. Okay, so the loving zombie. Yeah, I can see what the other two chaps are saying. Some valid points there. Personally, I thought the game was good. I thought it had a good, creepy atmosphere to it. But I think when it got past the halfway point... Must admit, it did get maybe a little less creepier. I'll let you come back in, Loving Zombie. I just wanted to say, I, I also felt at that stage, it almost seemed as if Capcom had lost their bottle. And just in yeah. case there wasn't this audience for this this return to this, you know, slur pace, they kind of almost felt they had to chuck in this, this sort of more linear, combat-orientated stage. Yeah, regarding the combat, I think it was okay. I think some parts, it seemed quite clunky. It was most notable when you fought the first proper boss, you know, with Jack in that arena. I lost count of how many times I died in that bit. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is like getting worse than Dark Souls. <laughs> the game, you know, <laughs> dying so many times. I was getting so frustrated. I mean, I got there eventually, but oh, yeah. I think he runs just just that little bit too slow. I think if he ran a little bit faster, and maybe if there was like a, a little dodge mechanic, but I suppose that kind of adds, you know, you think, oh crap, I better be careful kind of thing. Mind you, this was the new game engine that they just made as well. From Resident Evil 4 to Resident Evil 6, they used the MT framework game engine, and then for this one, the new one they've done is a brand spanking new one, so... I mean, the visuals are quite good. The graphics, they managed to reach 60 frames per second. So, you know, it's quite smooth gameplay, no frame drops or anything like that. So the environment was quite detailed. The characters are fairly decent as well. It's it's going to be hard to please everyone. Like, personally, I did, I did really like the game. I mean, I, I've completed it like two times. I'm currently doing like a little speed run. I think if you complete it in under four hours, you get fancy weapons don't you I think you get like a chainsaw that's just a rumor that's fake it's oh a certain yeah sorry saw. not a chainsaw it's like little handsaw thing yeah not even going to attempt madhouse difficulty i'm <laughs> just... this is cc i'm gonna have to agree with crimson elder i yes. oh no <laughs> i i was not that impressed i was actually quite disappointed for a lot of reasons the nicest thing i can say about the game is it's pretty it looks nice. Yeah. I was disappointed with the 
limited number of enemies that we faced. You know, like in the earlier games, you had a huge array of enemies that just came out of everywhere and you never knew where they were coming from. And this one, it was so predictable and it was really limited. I remember when I was in the basement and I was fighting with the molded, I just went on autopilot. Because you didn't find it challenging enough. No, no, it wasn't at all. I can agree with that. I didn't have much trouble on normal. I didn't even die on my first playthrough once. Right. I found almost the opposite. One of the things I really enjoyed about the game initially was the fact that the molded because of the atmosphere and the design of the molded and the way that they moved and the environment that i was in when i was fighting them i suddenly realized that i was acting like they were they were harder a more challenging enemy than, than they actually were and i actually enjoyed the fact that when i suddenly woke up to fact, oh they actually are a lot easier than i realized but it was they 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 were so fearsome and and the atmosphere was so intense I messaged Crimson Elder at the time. I said, this is the scariest Resident Evil game I've played since Remake. No, I, I agree with you, George. Like, that's honestly the point where I was like, oh, this is maybe a good Resident Evil game. Because before that, I was like, oh, Jack's running around. Eh. But fighting the molded, it was pretty hard for me anyway. I did like 10 times down at the basement the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. The first time I got a sense that it was a Resident Evil game was when I started doing the the fetch quests and stuff, picking up the items. But on my second playthrough, I realized, you know, I'm picking up these keys and they open like two doors each maximum. And as soon as you move on from that area into like the Lucas area with all the fucking traps and shit, then it's just a completely different game. It's just switched back to Revelations. Yeah, Love and Zombie 8. Yeah, I know what you mean. Crimson and Elder. Yeah, I think when you get to the Lucas point, I think the get, that is the crossing point, isn't it? I've got to agree with CC that I think they didn't really have um, that many enemies because they only had two types of molded, didn't they? No, there was four. Oh, there's four molded? Technically four. There's molded, fat molded, bladed molded. Yeah, the bloaty one. I really found the four-legged one really annoying now. I I was like, (laughs) found them really irritating. (laughs) Yeah. I played it three times through like Crimson Elder did and I don't have any need to play it again. The story is another aspect that I'll talk about later because I remember messaging GT, I think a couple years ago with a story idea, and they pretty much did that. If you remember that, GT, do you remember? Oh, wow, you've put me on the spot now. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I I know you've always been interested in the psychological aspect. Well, no, using an embryo as a biological weapon, a human embryo. Now do you remember? Yes, Evelyn. I remember. Can we be a family like before? No, Evie. We can't be a family. We were never a family. We will never be a family. Then I don't need you anymore. <laughs> Jill Sandwich here. Resident Evil 7, I felt like at the end of playing it, I, I played it two times, I got both of the endings, and I just tried to really take it all in and just see how it kind of you know held up the second time around and trying to really get a feel for the new style it's really hard to talk about re7 without bringing up the re6 uh, impact because that really affected the direction of things yeah. i feel like after that point and capcom was in such like a a weird dark place they didn't know what the hell to do with the series like they just released like revelations after re6 like they put that on 360 and then we were just like we heard about an open world game then we heard about like we didn't know what the hell was going on when I finally like saw how it was and then I was like, all right, let me wait till I play it. And playing the game, 
seeing the first person aspect, it worked. It worked for me because it was a different kind of uh, pace as far as like, oh, you're going to have people chase you and then they're, they're going to you can't really kill them, but that they can kind of come back. It's just I felt like there wasn't a lot of variety there. As much as I enjoyed the molded, it was still for me very limited, a missed opportunity that they didn't develop that basic design because I think that there was real potential there. You're right, they only had the four basic ones. Loving Zombie, did you feel that as well, that there was certainly a, a limitation on the BOWs that we got? Yeah. Do you know what I think would have been quite cool? When you um, first went into the house and then you found that list of people and it said either if they were killed or whether they turned. I think what would have been quite cool is that, you know, like Jack was infected and Marguerite was infected, Lucas was infected, and they all had their own personalities. I think it would have been quite cool, say, you know, the people they kidnapped, instead of them just being like, you know, the molded creatures, if they were like their own selves, but except like a different kind of enemy, if you know what I mean. They probably look human like, say, Jack or Marguerite do, but except they've probably got like a special ability. Like, you know, with Marguerite, you can have flies and insects coming out of her. And maybe if he uh, had some different enemies with like maybe different attacks and you could still have them molded in there. But I thought that was maybe just a, a missed opportunity. With this new style of gameplay, if they brought out some really cool BOWs of some sort or just anything, it would have made it a little bit more interesting for me. The enemies, they just, they haven't been, they weren't very good this time around. Taking it to the actual mechanics of the game and like how I experienced it as a whole, with all the keys only opening a few doors, I felt like there could have been a little bit more puzzles, like actual puzzles that you have to like, you know, sit there and really think about. I feel like there could have been a little bit more variety. I know they had the little uh, the sections where you would like turn the thing on the on the picture frame and make it match up. But that's not really like like, come on, you can do that puzzle in like 30 seconds. Uh, the overall story, though, I just thought that the story could have been a little bit better. The characters like Ethan and, and Mia, I kind of remember the bakers. That was a, a little highlight for me. I thought they were pretty cool, but I don't really care about Ethan. And I don't care about, like, I don't care. They don't give me enough to really care about these characters. And, and that was a big thing for me because, okay, we have these new characters. We don't know who they are. Obviously, they're not, you know, um, some agents of some sort. Like, it's just a guy that's just going into a house looking for, you know, his wife, following the message and whatnot. So I thought that was unique. But at the same time, yeah, the story just, it could have been, could have been a little bit more tight, just making me feel a little bit more of a connection to the characters. If they're going to bring in new characters like Ethan, you need to establish him because if he's yeah, exactly. the poster boy now, then I mean, he's not going to put any butts in seats, is he? If they say, oh, Ethan's in Resident Evil 8. I feel like these characters are just going to be a one and done kind of thing. Mm. Um, playing it as a whole, I'm just like, okay, number one, they definitely put this in first person to sell the VR. I feel like that is like 100% why they pretty much did this yeah. because they have that locked in deal with Sony, a year exclusive for the VR. All that aside, maybe, you know, knowing that, how does it hold up as a Resident Evil game as a whole? I can get some replay value out of it. It definitely could have been a lot better, though, as far as starting something new. But I, I did enjoy it, though. I didn't think it was a complete letdown. I thought it was it tried some different things. I do feel like the DLC aspect of it also really bothered me. Uh, number one, I spent a hundred and something dollars on the collector's edition and I don't get a season pass. Are you kidding me, Capcom? Are you kidding me? Not to mention, they shipped them out late. Like, I went to go pick pick it up at midnight, 
And they were like, oh, yeah, uh, Capcom didn't ship the collector's edition, so we're going to sell you the standard edition of the game. Come back, then we'll give you the refund. It was a joke. That so like Cap- a mess. <laughs> yeah, so That's Capcom, I don't know what they were doing here. $30 on a season pass for three DLC releases that we apparently are getting, or spend $10 on each. This first one was $10. The next one will probably be 15 bucks or maybe 20 I don't know because the DLC was cool. Like I played it, I streamed it. It was it was fun. Like you're just trying to escape from a bedroom and stuff with the bakers playing as a uh, Clancy from the demo. But I'm just I'm not a fan of the tacked on DLC either to like reveal more of the story. Just put it on the game. Just put it all in the game. Does it have any significant effect on the narrative of the main story? I bought it because I thought it would was canon as advertised. But um, there's so many inconsistencies in the uh, the timestamp on the videos that it absolutely is not canon. There's no way you can fit. Clancy plays a role in the game and his existence in the Baker's residence is three hours in total. One of the DLCs has him in the mansion for five hours. So that's two hours more and he's actually there. And then on top of that, he's in another DLC, which takes place before he even makes it to the Baker's house. Nightmare, yeah. That's supposed to be like his escape. Like he has to wait until dawn he never leave. makes it till dawn. He, he, yeah. he, he enters the house at, at half past 10 in the night and he dies at 1 a.m. in the morning. That's like three hours later, right? <laughs> and according to the timestamp, bedroom takes place at 4 p.m. So either Clancy entered the house and then escaped from Marguerite, then met up with the sewer gators and thought, oh, I wouldn't tell them about what just fucking happened with Marguerite. Let's just go in and I'll pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> it's bollocks. How can he make such a fucking error? The point that was made earlier that Ethan doesn't feel like a character to progress forward with the series, I completely agree with. So it's a shame that actually the DLC wasn't used to open up a little bit more about Ethan and Mia's relationship or just Ethan as a character. The reason why it doesn't connect and doesn't make sense is just shows you that it's DLC for the sake of being DLC. It's just, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, well, you know, Resident Evil fans will buy it. It's more content. And it's especially because it was released a week after the initial release. Like, really? Like, at least, like, Lost in Nightmares and Desperate Escape was, like, half a year. Lost in Nightmares and Desperate Escape are, are two of the best DLC packages I think they've ever come with any Resident Evil game. They're fantastic. Oh, yeah. They're just they're really fun. Uh, still fun to this day playing like the remasters and stuff. It still holds up, so it's cool. You know, they got it all together in one package. Albert Wesker 187, you've been extremely patient. We come to you now and your initial thoughts. Albert Wesker 187, I'm from Crimson Head Elder. I'm playing the game on PS4, and the version I have is a standard edition. My initial thoughts on Resident Evil 7 is that. Capcom outdid themselves in this game. They did an excellent job with the game. I was really impressed with uh was I was really impressed with everything of the story. I was I just loved every aspect of it, the survival horror aspect of it. Being chased by Jack Baker kind of reminds you of Nemesis in Resident Evil 3. I also ended up liking also the fact that uh, they they put a first person perspective instead, which is something I've always wanted to see in a Resident Evil game. I also like the fact also that they um even though they, they introduced a new character, I still like the fact that he was a he was a really good character in the game. To top it off, I mean it was just an excellent game. I mean I rate that rated up there as one of my favorite Resident Evil games out there as of right now. I'm on my fourth playthrough already of Resident Evil Seven. I'm enjoying every aspect, especially the the ship part where it's really scary, where you have to deal with the mold. It kinda of reminds you of Revelations a little bit. I mean, the game was extraordinary and i think our capcom outdid themselves and they proved to a lot of people that they can do to do survival horror correctly 
George Trevor here. I agree with every word of Albert Wesker 187, although I agree with a lot of what your sandwich was saying. A lot of my review is affected by how starved I've been of this experience. It's been such a long time. I've been moaning on the forums for the last 10 years that, you know, survival <laughs> horrors died and Capcom haven't been producing anything like the intensity of remake. So for me, it was a real welcome return, like Albert Wesker says, a real welcome return to how I think Resident Evil should be. I just thought so many of the areas, the atmosphere was, for me was so strong. I did like that so aspect. Many, the way the molded came out of the wall. I know obviously it's been done yes. in Alien, but I absolutely loved that. The molded themselves, for me, were very tense. And as I was saying, they almost felt like they were more fearsome than they actually were just because of the atmosphere. I liked the return to puzzles. Jill Sandwich is, is right. They weren't particularly demanding. But still, I think these are the most demanding puzzles we've had since Resident Evil 3. I agree. In 4, 5, and 6, we've literally had... You find a key at one end of the corridor and you've got to put it in the door at the other end of the corridor. Yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that, for example, with the birthday puzzle, the fact that you had to work out not to pull the the thing out of the barrel to make the accelerant come out, that's probably the most intellectually taxing puzzle we've had for some time. I'm going to be very interested to see what the sales figures are and whether there is a market for this because it's clearly, with its faults, it's clearly taken a step right back towards the survival horror. Number was going seven again. They had that Resident Evil 3 feeling, uh, you know, being chased by Nemesis, but also the fact that you can create enhanced gun ammo like you could in Resident Evil 3 is oh, another aspect. That that, yeah, I, I loved it too. That's that what I loved about it. You get the strategy of deciding for yourself what you think is the best weapon or the best ammo to use. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Enhanced ammo was outstanding. I mean, the puzzles were good. The fact that you had to go all the way back to the house to solve one puzzle, the fact you had to get the, the dog hit on the clock to go get over here to get the pendulum. Just the mixture of it was just incredible. I mean, I loved Resident Evil 7. That's why I keep going back to it every time because I enjoyed every single aspect of the game. It was beautifully made and Capcom outdid themselves in this game. Loving Zombie 8. What kind of annoyed me as well? Like, I was looking forward to killing Lucas. And then he disappeared. I thought, where the hell did he go? I don't know who that somebody is, but he was sending messages to someone about what was going company, on at the yeah. house. Yeah. Yeah. I did a little bit of reading. Apparently, he was keeping in touch with another organization. So the, the opposing organization of that Umbrella Corps. With how the game made references to the other games, I did like that. It made me happy because it made me just like see the fact that this is still in the Resident Evil universe despite it being so different and it feels very different. We had Clive O'Brien's book. The Unveiled Abyss. <laughs> we had Alicia Ashcroft's little news report. That was beautiful. Bringing those characters back. I mean, it was something awesome. It was unbelievable when I saw this. I was like, holy crap, this is unbelievable. They're going back to uh, Revelations and uh, Outbreak. Yeah. One that I particularly enjoyed. Although, I, I don't know who the fuck Chamberlain thinks he is, but the... Uh, there was a little invoice to Jack Baker for the shadow puzzles that had been installed in yeah, Trevor and Chamberlain. Yeah. Maybe. See, what you don't know is at the end of Resident Evil 6, that was Ada's greatest creation, cloning <laughs> George Trevor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the dude needs to just well, stop making secret rooms. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Let me interject here because I do have the dates in front of me. And shame on you, GT, for not realizing this. The date was November 10th, 1992 through mm. November 30th, 1992. Now, November 10th through November 30th marks the tragedy of the Trevor family. The years are out, but you mean they've got the same dates? Yes, um. they have the same month. Oh, well spotted, CC. Oh, wow. Good job, CC. Good job.
Did you guys appreciate the saving mechanic and, and the item boxes again that we got? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that Capcom brought back the storage boxes to have that really calm, peaceful uh saving mu- saving room music. I mean, just that old school feel of it just was nostalgic because that brings a whole gaming mechanic to it like it's, you know you got to store your items and stuff but the, the save things it's just the way you're saving the game you might as well press pause why didn't they put the tapes on normal yeah. every time i want to use tapes i gotta play fucking madhouse <laughs> i was under the impression where if you didn't save on the tape recorder even just on normal it won't save your progress at all Crimson Elder, are you making the point that on easy and normal mode despite having the tape recorders it also auto saves well, yeah, and if you play on Madhouse, you need little cassette tapes. You need those cassette tapes, To save tapes, the game, yeah. yeah. It's not as bad as you think it is. The tapes are not really spread out a whole lot, so you yeah. usually have yeah. a pretty good amount of them. When I was just wanting to quit, I would just save. So I don't know if having the tapes would even really do anything for the game. I have not played Madhouse yet. I haven't even been able to pass the game in under four hours yet playing on easy. I barely passed it a th- earlier <laughs> in five hours and 20 minutes. So I'm, st- I'm still not ready to get into Madhouse yet. I mean, I can't even pass the game in under four hours in freaking easy. We've been joined by CT, who's so kindly got up very early in Malaysia. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> I'm doing fine. I just woke up. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> We've just been going through what our thoughts were of, of the game. What did you think? It's quite exciting. The gameplay, I kind of like it. Before the game came out, I was one of the majority of people that don't really fancy the whole first-person shooter, first-person shooter gameplay. So when the trailer came out, when the demo came out as well, it was like first-person. I was a bit upset and also disappointed. Looks like Silent Hill now. My god, why has it turned into something so different? It's something that I've never seen before coming from Resident Evil. But I love the suspense building in the game. It's what Resident Evil has missing for so many years now. And they brought it back, fortunately, and I really loved it. I must say to you, as as someone invested in in Resident Evil as a third-person fixed camera angle game, I adored the backdrops, the static, really beautiful, lush, almost like paintings, and was absolutely devastated by Resident Evil 4. It's first person with someone's back in the way. You don't get the full character model like you did with Lost in Nightmares when you get the option of of doing a proper third person perspective. Almost for me, it could have been the last nail in the coffin, the first person view. And I have to say to you, CT, because of that atmosphere that that you mentioned and that you noticed and, and, and how creepy it was and how much it's returning back to its roots, I didn't notice the first person in the sense that it didn't, it wasn't an obstacle for me. Although I got terrible motion sickness playing the VR version, I've got the um, Xbox One version and just everything about this game, the atmosphere, the pace, the environment, with a limited range of enemies, still the enemies and the way they're moulded are designed and the way they come out of the ceiling and, and the darkness and the light and the stripped back sounds. It was just fantastic and I didn't notice the first person at all. I want to capitalize on that as well. The first game that had the first-person view that I really enjoyed was Resident Evil Dead Aim. And then the next game after that that ended up doing the first-person view was Revelations in the 3DS version, and I really enjoyed that. So when they made this game first-person perspective, that's why I loved it so much because it reminded me of that Dead Aim and Revelations gameplay in in the 3DS when you get into the first-person view, which is incredible. 
It's interesting you mentioned Dead Aim because I wanted to ask everyone else did if anyone else here like myself is a huge fan of Dead Aim and whether they felt oh. like I did that the late latter sections on the boat very much kind of felt like a Dead Aim reimagining and I think it's a great environment to have for a survival horror game. One of the things I, I enjoyed from the, from the boat section, albeit that it was a little bit more linear. I got that feeling with that game. Oh my God, they did this for Dead Aim, one of my, which is one of my favorite games of the series. I am so happy they made this in first-person perspective then. They put it in a boat like Dead Aim and Revelations. It was like, ah, oh, Capcom. Like I said, you all did yourselves in this game, which is freaking incredible. It's so full of suspense. Like, wow, this is, this is like, I don't know. Resident Evil has become, like, they give them a rebirth. And I thought it would have nothing to do with the previous storyline. I thought they they were really making a new one. But then I was wrong. I think it was Redfield. I don't know if it was Chris. People are still debating about that, whether it was Chris or whether it was like a clone or whether it was like Chris's son. People said it was Hung. Yeah, yeah, people say it was Hung as well. I think he's a bit too young to be Hung. We really know uh, nothing about these characters. For 20 years, we've been following this. And we don't even know if Chris got a brother. We didn't know Albert Wesker had nuts to make a son. We don't know these things. After 20 years, you think you'd fucking know... That's why this is a bad twist. (laughs) That's why it's just going to get away with so much bullshit. Retcon. Hey, you can't get as bad as the final chapter with Dr. Isaac's clones, okay? Hey, that was good. That was good. (laughs) Predictive combat (laughs) software. Oh, Jesus. When I saw predictive combat software, I lost my shit in the movie theater. I was done. I was like, predictive combat software? Really? (laughs) Didn't Wesker get his ass kicked by a doll? Yeah. And Wesker oh, gets stopped by a door don't get me, help don't get me. out. Wesker does not beg for his life. They screwed that up. Wesker's got too much pride. He's not going to beg, like, save me. <laughs> I'm a villain in the last one. In this one, he gets stopped by a door. And he's just sitting joking. there. Yeah, I was joking with my buddies yeah. in the theater. It's like, you know, Wesker would have got up, hobbled over someone, and choked the fuck out of somebody. <laughs> yeah. You guys need to watch the Angry Joe review. Yeah. Hilarious. They make Albert Wesker an alcoholic. Oh, Drogers. he does the whole movie. <laughs> he he sits there with a glass and ice in his like he's just like mm, I'm just gonna drink this and if that's I had it. superpowers and like I was alone with the AI, I would be drinking too. That's true. Uh, or if or if I was on the set of that movie, I'd probably be drinking. Paul Anderson has invaded this podcast. He's like the molded. He's coming out of the ceiling. He's just, he, like Paul Anderson is Evie, and he, like, he's working into your he mind. Fi- he finds his way in the, the podcast. I mean, can you imagine fighting a drunk Wesker in a Resident Evil game? It's not gonna go well. That's hilarious. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, Riz, where are you? <laughs> Can I just throw my two cents in you? If you take away anything I've got to say tonight, everybody keeps saying it's a return to survival horror. Is it really? It's I casual. Mean, That's, it's a casual R6, return. Any fucking thing is a return to survival horror. If this game came out after remake, would you be feeling the same fucking way? I don't think so. I reckon it's got similarities to um, a game called Outlast, which yeah. when um, when the demo came out, a lot of people did compare it to Outlast because at first you're hiding from Jack. In Outlast the game, you do a lot of hiding, don't you? You can't defend yourself. It makes you go on the run and hide. Yeah, but Outlast yeah. is a bad game, though. <laughs> to me, it's different. It, it, yeah, it's, it, I feel like it's different as well. Yeah, there's similarities, but to me, it's different enough where it doesn't bug me. Honestly, that's why I play like this brand of like horrors because I can fight back. It's the definition of survival horror is fighting the horror, you know. Yo, you felt it was a casual return, yeah, half-hearted, or 
it's not enough for like fans like us, but I, I have four buddies that finally got back to the Resident Evil series that hasn't played since four. They play this like, oh yeah, I remember this from like, you know, Resident Evil One and stuff like that on PlayStation One. They're like happy about it. What you brought up, the point about the casual people, and, and it also caters to the fact that it is first person and the first person horror scare cam kind of deal, and that adds to it because they're sending out review copies, they're sending out streaming copies, so everybody can scream and yell, shove it down your throat. They're wearing the VR. You're like, this this guy looks ridiculous, whatever. So you see, you know, you're seeing all this stuff. The guy's screaming, yelling it captures that audience so people just see Resident Evil 7 and they're like oh well, what's this game and then they end up playing it and they like it because maybe their favorite YouTuber played it or they like it maybe yeah. because and and so that's fine because it brings in a different audience but that I think that's another reason why the game sold very well that helped it grow even though the first person did work for me like I said in, in, in many aspects but I I feel like that whole like VR casual thing was like all right well let's do first person because of this and this will kind of get people on board not too big of a fan of that. Rather than having like a little bit more appealing of a story or characters to kind of bring people in, they have to use uh, VR and first person kind of to to use it. And it's not like I said, it's not like the first person is bad, but I felt like that when you mentioned the casual audience and stuff that seeing other reactions is really where you can get that like study from where it's like, oh, OK, this is how it's kind of uh, how people are reacting to a new Resident Evil that's trying to pretty much get a get a new identity from yeah. the public. Metacritic out of 100, PC at 88, PS4 at 85, Xbox One at 86, and then you got magazines and stuff. If you got Destructor, give it a 10 out of 10. What the fuck? <laughs> EGM. Perfect. <laughs> EGM, give it a 9 out of 10. 36 out of 40 for Mitsugive, and they give 38 out of 40 to RE6, so their opinion means shit. Uh, Game Informer. <laughs> 8.5 out of 10. GameSpot, 8 out of 10. Games Radar, 4.5 out of 5. This is the review that I actually mostly agree with. IGN, give it a 7.7 7 out of 10. PC Gamer, uh, 90 out of 100. And Polygon, 9 out of 10. But then, let me just talk about the sales then. We look at the sales, right? In the first week, it did 2.5 million on launch week. That was taken on January 27th. It was the third best-selling Resident Evil game in the series. Third. RE6 was 4 million, and RE5 was 5 million. RE6 outdid it by double. Yeah, and Resident Evil 5 blitzed it. In Japan as well, it's doing really bad. It sold 187,000 compared to RE5's 319,000, and RE6's 634,000. And also Capcom's share prices have dropped. Now that's concerning because you would have thought a game particularly in that style with a lot of sort of Japanese horror tropes that it would do particularly well in Japan. Oh man, it, it got blitzed over three times as much, RE6 said. We can look at the reviews and you can say it's better than Res 5, but we can also look at the fucking sales and we know one there, George. CT, what's the news in Malaysia? How's it, how's it, how's it doing <laughs> over there where you are? Well... Me and my friend, we are huge fans of Resident Evil, so when we found out that Resident Evil 7 was going to come out, we are so hyped about it. So what my friend did, she she did play the demo, and then she told me that she was disappointed. Probably it wasn't as great as the previous Resident Evil, which was the Resident Evil 4 and 5. I don't know, maybe I have to spend some time with another group of friends, maybe. <laughs> because, you know, maybe they don't really... They don't really play PlayStation or they're not really gamers. So, yeah, I'm the only one who's getting very hyped and me and my friend. And so when we found out that the full playthrough came out, we watched it and we we just thought, wow, it's very different. But 
it's it's okay-ish, but I don't know. I have a mixed feeling about this one. It seems so different. I really cannot see how it has anything to do with the previous one. Yeah, can I ask you people, does it really have anything to do with the previous storyline? It takes place five years after Resident Evil 6. For me, the story matched the gameplay. I felt that it was original enough without it being ridiculous. I think we've had far worse narratives before with far more sort of Ill- illogical plot points or antagonists behaving in some very questionable ways. I thought it had one of the more intelligent stories that we've had. And so it generally had that very creepy and tense context to put the gameplay in. Real fast, George, that is a proper twist. The whole, just to get mad a little bit, the whole, oh, hey, Redfield's working with Umbrella thing, if it is Chris, that's not a good twist. The Evelyn thing, all these pieces pretty much showing that, oh, yeah, this is a weapon. But then it's like, oh, here's some things that show it could not be a weapon. You get that picture with E-001. Then you get, you know, all these kid rooms. So it's like, oh, well, what's going on here? But with the Chris thing, that is just out of nowhere. That's not a good twist. Loving Zombie, what was your thoughts on the narrative? I could see there was similarities to um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think they definitely took some they took some cues from that, I think. Like, I you know, when you're at the dinner table. Memorable characters-wise. I think Jack's certainly memorable. Marguerite's got a bit of a potty mouth. They could have maybe expanded on Ethan, because I don't think they really expanded on Ethan enough. I mean, I thought the story was decent. And I, I did think, like, the twist was good for Eveline. Like everyone else, I was really confused at the end with the Redfield thing. I thought, hmm, I really am not convinced about that. For me, that Redfield thing at the end, it was almost like, you know, when you get a film and you think it's finished and then at the yeah. end, after the rolling credits, you just get like a jokey, almost, you know, throwaway little extra bit. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have any real bearing on any of the story of Resident Evil 7. It's perhaps the start of Resident Evil 8. I'm Redfield. I'm glad we found you. <sighs> The fuck took you guys so long? Loving Zombie talks about, uh, brings up a point we've all said, that we find the Ethan character like a placeholder. We don't get to know enough about him. With it also being first person, that the idea is they didn't actually want to make that character particularly distinguishable so that you can put your own imprint on it so you effectively feel that Ethan is yourself. Uh... Was anyone shocked? When uh, his hand got chainsawed off. Yeah. First, yeah. I was so, like, that was, that was, that was, oh, I was like, am I going to have to go through the whole game with just, I couldn't, I was <laughs> yeah, seriously thinking, how the hell am I going to progress through this game? I picked it up because I was like, oh, this could be for a puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I picked it up because I felt bad for the guy. I was like, you know what? I ain't going to leave your hand there hanging all by itself. You know, like, like cousin, e, like, cousin e, like Adam's family, the hand. I was like, no, I'm going to pick it up and take it with me. They've done it so we can relate to Ethan, and I mean, who can't? I can relate to Ethan. I mean, can't you? It was, I mean, it was just no. last week that my missus chopped my arm off with a chainsaw. Of course, no, I can I, relate I to him. I can't relate to him at all. If you know, this maybe shows how bad of a person I am. But if if I'm trying to find my wife that's missing, and I see you know cow parts and saw blades outside this creepy plantation, I'm I'm going the other way. I'm just going to cut my losses. <laughs> the choice you go on to find your wife, and you're given the option: Do I save my wife? 
or do I save this fucking random girl I just met? What kind of choice is that? Has anyone here saved Zoe just to see the difference in the endings? Because oh, uh, okay. I, I have a conf- I have a confession. I have a confession. Uh, when I first played the first playthrough of Resident Evil Seven, I ended up saving Zoe because she helped me out throughout the game. Oh. Little did I know that that was the bad ending. And I, yeah, but I, what, what I, what I did learn though is that she was already far gone. She was far gone yeah. already. That doesn't make it, any sense to me. For me, Resident Evil Seven was doing quite well and being quite stable. And you didn't have these sort of illogical occurrences. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that, that, that made no sense at all. I think that would have been better if you found out Evelyn was just controlling Zoe, just like a, like a kid joke on you. Right like, at uh-huh. the end. I like the fact when you save Zoe that when you after you save Zoe, they do that sound like, Mia, can't believe you did that. And then when you have to kill her towards the end of the game, he's like, did you have fun with that fucking slut? <laughs> See, I chose Zoe the first time around simply because I thought, me was just such, insane. Like, Crimson Elder mentions this is such a dumb choice. It must be a twist. It must be something more that she can do for you. I mean, actually, it's interesting. You get in the dialogue. She's going to be more useful in helping us get through this than I can come back to you. I mean, that's a pretty lame excuse, you know. Yeah, uh, I know. You know Zoe gives you know screwed up for that. She's not hmm. buying that. I just yeah, went with Mia because I knew Mia was the good ending. I had no connection to either characters, as bad as that sounds. Mia, you put me through so much. I went, came all this way. Dealt with Jack, dealt with all this, like, I'm saving you. Like, who cares about Zoe? That was my mindset. Even though Mia did everything, like, that she cut Ethan's arm off and all this other stuff. Stabbed you know, him multiple times. Stabbed him multiple times. <laughs> this just proves that Ethan had unconditional love for his, for his wife. So despite everything <laughs> that, she did to him, every, everything she did to him, he says, I still love you and I'm still going to save you because I love you that much. So well, that's, that's what I did for Jill in RE5. I mean, she attacked him. He didn't fucking abandon her and say, oh, fuck you. Am I the only one that shot Jill first time in that boss fight? I blew her head off. I'm I'm sorry. That's what I did. (laughs) In my head, I was like, okay, you're already going on rampage like the Bakers. If I inject you, you're dead anyway. Zoe hasn't done anything to me. It's a shame that choosing Zoe doesn't give more, even with it being a bad ending, it just doesn't give more of a better bad ending. It is a sad ending, though, either way you look at it. Even the good ending, I I just look at it as damned if you do, damned if you don't, pretty much. Save Mia. You're still with Umbrella. Granted, does that dumbass happy music like it's all good, which I don't know about that. I just wanted to ask Cece and Kinsanelda as two sort of the strongest detractors of the game. Did you not see any merit or enjoy part of the story where you had Evelyn getting to the point where you had that twist with her being elderly at the end? I thought it was quite harrowing. Why does nobody love me? I thought the voice acting was fantastic. I already had that figured out. In fact, I scribbled notes from the trailer. I watched the trailer repeatedly and listened to the song, you know, Go Tell Aunt Rhody, and I made notes about how it seemed to deal with a child that felt abandoned, unwanted. There was underlying tones of tragedy. I figured out that the young girl and the old lady were the same person. I had a feeling they were the same person. Yeah, I had a feeling. I just kind of went with my instinct as well, though. It's like if, if everything else fails, blame the elderly. I like that twist, too, that Marguerite was Evelyn the whole time. And it was weird that she would appear in main points of the game. Like, you get, you have to go to this room, she was there. You have to go to the dissection room, she was there. Oh, you have to go to the room, she was there. Like, she was, she, it's like if she was leading you, telling you, go to this area. There's something in this area that's that's right well, here. Every I, I'm time worried you that Crimson Elder particularly is going to jump down my throat. Because I know you play a lot of horror games. Put Resident Evil 7 in a context to, to those with jump scares. But, my God, I mean, I, I completely freaked out. It was 
frightening when you come around the corner after you come back out of the basement and she's just there. The and I was watching room. it with my 16-year-old son who has spent the last, literally since he was six, has spent the last 10 years taking the piss out of my devotion for Resident Evil. And mm. he, this is the first Resident Evil game. That's interesting. You know, he's, he's 16. He's a new generation of gamers to Resident Evil. Him and his friends, this is the first Resident Evil game they're playing. He was terrified he looked around the corner and she had gone and we were t- i like literally grabbed his arm and we were we were screaming i'm sorry we it was it was frightening uh gone <laughs> comes in now you can now destroy me and tell me that it was just a cheap jump scare for me that was one of the highlights of the game and really added to how scary and how sinister it was i think that actually hurt the game a little bit more because you couldn't do anything to her maybe i'm just numb to it i didn't <laughs> once once you were sitting in the wheelchair in the boiler room and you just walk around the corner. She just sat there. I was like, okay, you fucking creepy bitch. And yes. The second time <laughs> yeah. was when I fought Marguerite and you're walking up the stairs. He's just about to fight down. She burst through the window and grabbed me. I was like, oh, you fucking bitch. She had me good. <laughs> There's no handicapable stairs in that place. So <laughs> yeah. that'd be hilarious. Just see just something like shifting up and just walking up the steps. It's like, okay. Well, there was no, there was no standard stair lift, was there? That woman is athletic. The extra abilities and physical abilities that Evelyn had as a child as part of the deterioration as she was growing older, that those would have gone as well. She actually, when you're talking about her moving around and stuff, USS Command said that after he got the two key cards, he was about to clock out to go to Lucas area. He revisited underneath the floorboards where Jack chases her around the dinner, around by the family dinner party, and she was actually under there. Oh my God, that would freak me out. One possible explanation for all this is there's no doubt Ethan is infected. He handles his arm getting cut off pretty well. <laughs> so him seeing her is probably just him hallucinating. When I saw his hand get back, I was like this. Uh, I just assumed I was like, maybe he is infected because how yeah. the hell? Unless but... And then I got the the scene where my it happened with my leg. Like I got my leg cut off by I guess it was a it was in combat and oh yeah pulled, from Jack Baker yeah Jack yeah, Baker yeah, and he has like the the first aid spray yeah and, and I just put, your leg I, I put my leg on yeah. with the thing and I was like this is fucked up in a good way I was like this is kind of cool like th- this could be something different here but then they never explained shit well so. and because you're right because they don't in this game explain how because because you're right to question was he infected and the actual the only evidence that that he is is, is you're right is is the fact that you can reattach limbs which for some of us. Like me, for example, when I didn't put the hand on initially and I only saw in the cutscene when it was reattached and I and you're kind of thinking, well, hold on a minute. Have they now infected him in order to was he infected as part of that rehabilitation in order to cure him? They had to infect him because up to that moment, is he infected during the battle with with Mir? It's not quite clear how you do become infected. The cocoon when you crash and you get taken onto the boat. That's when yes. he must have got infected, because before that point, he never had any hallucinations or nothing. How then do you account for the reattachment of the limbs? Well, why didn't it's, he have any hallucinations up until that point? If he it's wasn't been a while there? since I looked at the ending file, but isn't there a file that shows you the different stages? Uh, yeah, stage was one say, was right, the... the hallucinations. Um, yeah. Stage two was Five. hallucinations, wasn't it? Stage one was like regen. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. The hallucinations were at a latter stage, just almost before complete deterioration. Or yeah, because it gets worse towards the end. Yeah. yeah. Let me see, which is the part where I can actually recall when he got infected. I want to say it's when he, when he, when you fight against Mia the first time, but... Boy, that water probably was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's actually quite interesting. I thought he may have been infected when he, when he, when Jack takes you the first yeah. time. Maybe Jack took him, and while he was unconscious, he probably injected him with the virus. That's why when Zoe ends up putting his arm back together, uh, Ethan doesn't feel shit. 
the point of bringing these kidnappies into the family and to control them, you know, you're infecting them in, in order to, for Evelyn to get the full control and, and to obviously persuade them to be part of the family. So the people that are being kidnapped, they're being infected upon incarceration. So I imagine a similar thing had, that occurred to Ethan as soon as he was, you know, since he was captured by Jack, he, he was infected as well, like, like the people that they kidnap. The whole point of Ethan's presence there was through Evelyn. Mia, in her true self, she wants Ethan to stay away. But then there's that email that she, you know, I think one of the first files is the email asking Ethan to come and join her, presumably is, is done through Evelyn with her mind control. So Evelyn already chose Ethan to be part of the family. That's why she was at dinner with him. I found a file. It is the initial infection stage. They state that test subjects, when once they had arms and legs removed, were able to co-opt the amputated limb in a matter of minutes. That is during the initial infection. So I think when Ethan mm. got his hand cut off, he was initially infected. But those herbs are crazy. Or the psychostimulants that you were taking could have lowered his... Yeah. Um, Steroids, man. <laughs> yeah. That's how that works. <laughs> I wanted to also add on the narrative of the game. You see that Jack Baker is a freaking masochist. But what really got me into the characters is the way they actually really were, how Jack was in real life, how he was a really nice person, how he was, yeah. a, he was a, hold on, son, hold on. Like, he was really, really passive. Ethan? Hey, shh, shh, I know, I know, I know. I'm not going to hurt you. Hell, I never would have if I could have helped you. What do you mean? I'm no killer, son. Neither is Marguerite. No more boy Lucas, or even Zoe here. That girl Evelyn, she did this. What the hell is she? Now what did she do to you? She infected us with her gift. That's what she calls it. I found her near a busted out tank in the bayou. Everything changed after that. So she infects you and then she takes control? No. Not exactly, son. She just... She forces a way into your mind, your soul. You can't fight back. You are connected to her and you can't resist the urge to... different person after that just like Mia so Mia sent me that message because of Evelyn listen the, the girl just wants a family of her own she's the key alright you find her and you stop her Ethan free my family Please. Jack was very, very nice. He loved his family. He was a Marine who served in, he was a Marine from the 19, 1980. I mean, just the fact, the way he was as a person compared to the sociopath we see in the game and the real person we see was a huge difference. He tells Ethan, please save my family, please. Was holding the hand of the gamer, telling them what was going on. But at the same time, I think it was an in, in emotional window into the bakers. And, and as, as Albert Wesker says, it, it, sort of, it showed us what they were like before. It went, I think, nicely hand in hand with some of the files, the little things that you find that gives you 
inclinations what their previous life was like and you see that jack was a, was a marine which i think goes quite nicely in in in, in his fighting mode because he, he's a fucking tough bastard mm -hmm. i yeah, I, I you know i enjoyed some of the the moves he put on you they they weren't your usual moves that you sometimes see he did have quite a i don't know if that's a southern style but he had quite a, quite a style to, to to his fight where when when he's beating up on you he was almost like an mma fighter he was doing like clinches knee to the face knee to the gut it was like whoa what the fuck? trust me yeah <laughs> trust me I, i'm one of those two and i'm telling you that's the that's what the training that we get trust me <laughs> You're taught to hit with authority. You're taught to hit with your knee, with your elbow, close quarter combat. They teach you all that stuff there. So I'm telling you, that was very legit because he was extremely freaking strong. And I also like the fact how Jack reacts to you. He's like, oh, you gone done it now, motherfucker. <laughs> like, <"What?" laughs> Jack Baker is legendary. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and then when, he, when he's riding inside the car that he drives a car with you, you keep running over he's him. And... I also like oh, the yeah. fact that there's different ways I've seen can play out depending yeah. on what you do. I've never had my leg cut off. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's very different, and taking away different things and, and finding everything out is what I personally enjoyed. I did have issues with the story, you know, certain characters and whatnot, but the overall, like, the way I played through the game and, and you know, saw the characters kind of unravel and, and see things from different perspectives, I, I like the fact that, you know, we, we definitely are seeing new elements because we are thrown in a whole different new, you know, environment. Uh, I did like that it was very dark. Uh, I like the fact that there was no censored cutscenes. I was tired of censored deaths. Ever since 5 and 6, oh, that's they cool. kept yeah, censoring the deaths. And I was like, stop doing that. Yeah. I want to see gore. I want to see decapitate. Like, I want to see it, you know? Because, like, RE4, like, the deaths were fucking awesome. They were brutal. Oh, like, yeah. like, the insects and stuff. That was one of my favorite kills with this, like, Leon's face melting all. Like, that's cool. Like, that's dark. I think it takes some thought. I just think in like RE5 when the chainsaw guy just kind of like cuts into your neck and then you fall down. It's a minor nitpick of mine, but you know, certain things like that, I was like, eh. But I was happy that they, and, and you know, brought it back in seven. They brought back the, the gruesomeness of it. Did you guys find that some of these loading times were insanely long and, and, and yeah. unfortunately, and, and, and occasionally took, completely took away from the tension? Why not put a fucking file or something? Jesus, I'm just sitting there, just looking at it, and there's nothing. Did like, you guys do... find that as well? Very long loading times. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. My only issues with the loading screen is it tells you certain puzzles, like the sh how to get the shotgun. Oh, you have the scorpion key. You can get the shotgun now. Oh, Immortal Jack, try not tuning him, like that kind of stuff. You're right. It would be much better rather than to make it even easier to actually just have had some files during that time. That was one of the things I loved about Resident Evil 5, that you had those, the timeline. It doesn't help that, like, my PS... Now, obviously, Sony is doing this on purpose because they want me to get a Slim and a Pro, but my PS4 sounds like it's dying when it plays this game. <laughs> if it tries to play Uncharted 4 or Last of Us, I, it just sounds like a vacuum is on. And I was like, okay, I'm not, like... So, like, the load times were even, like, longer for me, and, like, sometimes my console would overheat um, and turn off the mm. game. Because the PS4 literally says, this is too hot. It, the, the console needs to turn off. Yeah. Like... Yeah, it's too good. Wow, um, too so when certain things would happen or a cutscene, like you would just hear zzz, like it's just slowly. I'm like, what is going on? Like, can I even play? <laughs> am I not meant to play this game? Like, am that's I why you get an Xbox. Right <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go through the panel and ask you guys what you thought of the files. What's really induced atmosphere and sort of cemented the history and the feeling that you're connecting with the game? 
I've heard some criticism that they people that have found the files a bit one dimensional. That was my criticism for Revelations 2. I'm a Revelations 2 fan. I much prefer Resident Evil 7, but I felt that some of the files in Revelations 2 were a little bit bland. I really like the files in Resident Evil 7. Um, mm-hmm. We start with the email from Mir. It's dated uh, July 18th, 2017. At this point, Evelyn is effectively, I think, in that elderly lady state. One highlights for me and was really in the vein of, of Resident Evil and just the really insidious and creepy and sinister atmosphere that almost makes it a ghost story. Resident Evil is based on Sweet Home, which is a Japanese ghost story. Lucas, who was a bad seed before Evelyn got her claws into him, who locks his friend Oliver in the attic. Oh, yeah, and she can't hear her screams anymore. Oh, a decomposed child. Those files for me were just fantastic. And and that they they go with the fact, you know, that's what I've always loved, that they connect with a part of the gameplay that that then, because when you, when I first found that child, me and my son, and again, we were like, oh my, what the fuck is that? And we were just staring at the screen, just horrified. And it's like a freak show. You don't want to look at it, but it was so, and I was loving that Resident Evil was finally going back to being so creepy and nasty and then yeah finding those files alert you to exactly who that child was and what his fate was and then it just becomes so gruesome yes when i played it the first time i missed like three files i missed like three of them because i was really trying to find everyone just read and get as much information out of it as i possibly can just my first time through i really did like the attic thing and how like you know oh i could still hear banging you know and then that's that you keep hearing banging you're like what the hell is that sound and then later come to yes. find out all the stuff in the attic. That was cool. Um, I also like the uh, with the missing words. Uh, that one was pretty uh, crazy yes. because you're reading it and you're like, what too, is yeah. this? Like, you know, you're seeing all these connections. What, what is those files that are blanked out? Like, what are the, those files that are out? reference, yes. like Africa, Arkley Mount. Like, this is really cool because, again, I appreciated when they referenced the other games. So when I read the files and I see that, I kind of smile a bit. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, I kind of feel a connection considering it, it that's what i was looking for when playing this game i wanted to see how it really felt uh you know connected to this universe and how well they did it so i paid attention to that and yeah i thought the files are, were pretty good I, I did enjoy reading them those are some of my favorites personally yes i was gonna bring that up too yeah the r&d report one and two they are the best ones the sensor thing though that really pissed me off yeah, me too. What the hell does it say there? What, why are you blanking it out? Why? It made you think, hmm, like, what could fill in these blanks here? Like, But it's not a fucking... It's not yeah. a weird but that's so right. Resident Evil, isn't it? Just the frustration. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, we had that in Resident Evil Zero, not being able to put the puzzle together completely because there's certain dates that are missing from files. And that's great, the investigation and having to put it all together like that. Imagine we don't get any answers for that. That is just... Yeah, I have to agree with that. With Resident Evil Zero, you're able to like have an idea. Here with that file, like, oh hey, it talks about the HCF. That's freaking amazing. Then everything else is blacked out. Just say the fucking FBC if it's there, please. Just give <laughs> us something. One file saying that, oh yeah, uh, Mark Wheatbaker went to the doctors and they're like, hey, this this mold that we found on you, it's something serious. You need to come back. What about the teeth that you no. find? That was kind of screwed up yeah. to the teeth that you well, find. I thought that was actually oh, kind of yeah. one of the few things I liked about that is during the uh, happy birthday puzzle, you see an old Baker picture. You see the real grandma Baker. You see like everyone being kind of happy. And yes. yeah, the, I guess you see Oliver and Zoe in the back. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, nothing happens with the mold 
at the hospital. You get a little bit about the storm, which must have been horrible for a tanker to wind up that far on shore. (laughs) (laughs) They were moving evil in because they were being pursued by rival companies. So it's interesting. We're not quite sure. Was the tanker steered off course by the storm? Was it? by the ship being under attack. I think it's supposed to go to Central America, somewhere in Central America. Like there's a a picture at the end of the credits that shows its course and you see an X where it got attacked. She was being transported to Central America because uh, rival companies, not not the rival company, but other companies were trying to... They were worried about being attacked, but they they oddly not get attacked. Can I expand on the doctor's note? I have a problem with this file due to my medical background. First of all, doctors never, ever send out a letter telling you what exactly is wrong. They will tell you that they found an anomaly and you need to come in for further testing. From x-rays, you cannot tell that it is fungus or mold. That is something that requires a biopsy. That's not really good, you know, doctor. You know, it's just like, you know, kind of a town doctor. You know, he drinks a lot, you know, he's cheap. It's fine. Not a whole lot of files from Zoe. That's another issue I had. No, she seemed to have a of a, a good amount of history with with what's going on. We know why Lucas frees himself from his attachment to Evelyn. Evelyn. We've got the emails that he has with this company. It works actually as a quite well as a commentary on Evelyn and her living environment with the bakers and how things are developing. He references the fact that she's growing older and also this desire for a family. I was a bit confused by Zoe. She's sort of introduced to us with the phone calls and she's helping us. And it's never clear to me as to why she isn't under the control. Or has she really not got to that stage yet, do we think? Apparently she did if that serum messed her up like that. She's infected because she's one of the two we have to decide to save. So we know she's infected, but Marguerite and Jack are are, are far more gone than, than Zoe. The serum doesn't really cure you because Lucas still had his like re- regeneration abilities. He just wasn't yes. under the control. So that doesn't fully cure you. It's just, you know, something to make sure you don't get mind controlled. Yeah. What, Evelyn? I'm trying to tell that someone else don't want to go back. Yeah, so was he faking that or was he like the genuine? Oh, he, he's able to, you know, fool her, but he, is he still able to see her and like chat with her? But I she just so. can't control him. He was faking it because he says in his files, she's not on to me. The file with the list of names on it, there's a lot of inconsistencies with that file. For a start, the L next to Clancy's name, that's for Lucas because Clancy is given to Lucas. That's Clancy's video with the cake. So he dies. Also, the names, the list of names, there's a lot of people like uh, Alicia Ascroft's file. She says that Helen Midcliff went missing and there's no Helen on that list of names. There's also a few other names which appear in the game which don't appear on that list of names. There are various rooms where you see on the wall you've got newspaper reports of missing people stories. So the bakers are almost working independently of each other but all for the same cause of, of pleasing Evelyn. I'm not sure how organised they were in, in sort of cataloguing who they were kidnapping for her. Mm. Clancy L. Yeah, I was really going to ask her, what does that mean? He, he put everybody probably dead. loser. At the very beginning, I was hoping it was lost. I liked the idea of him escaping and, you know, people being like, oh, you're crazy. The Baker family, that's the, that place has been abandoned for a while. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. To me, that would make more sense for Deputy Shovel. Hey, there's something going around with this place. You don't send deputy, you send a SWAT, you send a SWAT team. You ask for backup, goddammit, come on. And you certainly don't give some unknown assailant a pocket knife. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) One of the, the letdowns for me boss battles whilst i enjoyed some of the earlier ones 
the last boss battle, which was, for me, the lowest point of the game, actually. It was a huge letdown. I didn't find the boss battles at all challenging. The, with the boss battles, like, I mean, hey, they were better than Resident Evil 6. I'll say that. I, I cannot yes, deal yeah, with a women's fight ever again. Oh, T-Rex Simmons was pretty good. Yeah, T-Rex Simmons, probably, that was my favorite fight ever. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that, that was awesome. <laughs> I just, that, that went on way too long, especially on Professional, and doing it multiple times on multiple campaigns was... No, not Professional, No Hope Left, God oh, and no, Well, No Hope Left, yes. <laughs> okay, but anyway, <laughs> the boss battles are, you know, the, in this game, I... I liked them a little bit more than six, but I do agree with the final boss being disappointing. I think that um, it, it happened way too quick. Like I, I felt that the fight was going to be very short, and then when I when I'm like playing it, you know, I was streaming it uh, the first time through, and you know, I was playing it saying, "That's not it, is it?" Like, come on! And then that that's yeah. then the ending. Then then you know, I see the the sunset and the helicopter, and I'm like, "Oh wow, this is like it." Um, that's exactly the same for me. Yeah, I was waiting for something else to happen. I couldn't believe it. I only died because I was being dumb. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot I equipped the Magnum when I got picked up. And I was like, oh, I only have three shots with this. Well, that's it. There are certain times where like, I was like, why am I doing this? Like with Mia, like I would turn my back on her when she had the chance. So I'm like, this is just not a good idea. But it was also me trying to get used to the game being in first person. Like I had to get really used to the combat and how like how running away from people and and using the quick turn in first person, which is, you know, a little different. It's the Survivor remake we've always wanted. This is the Survivor remake that I wanted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was parts like that, too, where I, I would just die because of some, like, stupid stuff. I know someone mentioned earlier that they didn't die once. I'm sure it's very possible. I just was bad and I messed up. I was terrible at, like, trying to get used to some of the mechanics. But second time around, I was like, okay, now when I got the second ending uh, with Zoe, I was like, okay, now I kind of, at that point, I was able to get through the bus battles a little bit. But... They were they were okay. They just weren't very memorable. Like I don't I don't really think I'm gonna be like, hey guys, like do you remember that one fight in seven with like no I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I, agree. I love that fight so much. Yeah, I agree with that. And but I also like the fact that towards when you're fighting against the uh, Marguerite slash Evelyn, they give you that Albert Wesker samurai edge, which is freaking powerful. It's a damn cannon, man. Fuck. It was cool seeing the samurai edge in first person because I was like, oh yeah. The only time yeah, I do this is on Counter Strike with my mods, but it was like, this is insane. This is so insane. Unfortunately, the weapon that you unlock at the end of the game only has three rounds. Okay. This one had this one had nine rounds, but man, just the fact that they put the weapon in first-person perspective shows you how beautiful the weapon Wesker yeah. Samurai Edge is, and it's just, well, I want to customize the weapon like that because it's such a beautiful weapon. Oh, it is. It's, well, it's like, a shame you know. about the BOWs because I really like the design. I like the concept of the molded. I found the molded so gruesome and scary. Initially, I actually really um, liked them, honestly. Yeah. Like, the only yeah. ones I hated was the fat molded because I thought that was, oh, that's not original at all. Left for Dead. Yes. I call it like a bloater because it kind of reminded me of like the, the spores and everything with the fungus. That, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and no more challenging. That was the thing. It was meant to be kind of a step on from the standard molded type. I found the molded with the arm hook used to defend itself was, was more of a challenge. I would have liked to have seen, as you've got with Resident Evil 4 and 5, where the BOWs and the secondary infectants were developed upon. I pretty much agree with everybody else. The the boss fights were kind of disappointing, so I can't really add anything else. I'll add to that. I really like the boss fights, honestly. <laughs> In a weird sort of way. I like the chainsaw battle with Jack. I thought that was insane. Oh, uh, heck yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. That was amazing. That was uh, fucking amazing. That's what I was saying earlier, that I really enjoyed the boss fights to begin with. I, yeah. I loved that chainsaw fight. It was really intense. The 
second mutation would it be of Jack or third when it's actually very similar to a Zelda uh, boss fight when he's kind of like that spider and he's got like his Resident eyes Evil on. Four kind of like yeah, oh, it's just again, it's like yeah like Sadler and Resident Evil Four they very much petered out the boss fights for me but they're certainly promising to begin with because I agree with Yoke I love the chainsaw one. In terms of scares, Margie, Margie, Mother Baker, is probably my favorite because that, that entire area scared the hell out of me. Like just the whole insects thing. I don't. I'm not good with insects at all. For me, that was the hardest boss battle, and, and was far. I ran out of ammo the, during the, that the, fight. The I had to finish her off with a knife. <laughs> she jumps yeah. everywhere. She hides. She can grab you. And if you leave her alone too long, she spawns more insects. It's just. But the noise that she makes when she's spawning yes. insects. Have you heard that noise? It's. Oh, yes. God, yes. It reminds me of kind of like that woman from Evil Within. The one that has like the black hair and has like all the ten arms and she's crawling towards you and shit. She had like ten arms. It reminded me of that Evil Within tension because she was like freaking like, oh, like, oh, you hear all the creepy sounds behind you and all those other shit. Like, Ugh, go away, you creepy spider bitch. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. thought it was. I thought it was pretty disgusting that they like kind of set up their hive in her genital region. That yeah, Resident yeah. Seven does not shy away from that stuff. You want a dead fetus? No. We got it. Quite yes. nasty, creepy imagery in yeah. this game, but that's what I enjoyed because one of the things that really turned me on to Resident Evil when I first played remake, I was quite taken by surprise by how graphic and melancholy and depressing and. And, and sad, the whole George Trevor and Lisa Trevor and, and, you know, the abduction. And there was no happy ending there at all. And it was very brutal how they disposed of that family and how calculating and cold Spencer was. Yeah, that's what I enjoyed with Remake. And again, with Resident Evil 7, grotesque imagery, almost like, you know, circus freak imagery with the congealed fetus, the child that had emaciated. And so uh, that, that did it for me. I really like that Capcom took that, that, that lead because like, wow, I mean, this is... Most of this stuff would be considered taboo in other places, so I mean, I'm glad they went all out with the with the violence and the gore in this in this game. I do fight, feel like you should have lost a little bit more blood when your arm got ch- or your hand got chainsawed off. That looked a little bit weird, like oh, just little yeah. spurts of blood. Yeah, is that because of the Reach infection? Him. You recover, the blood stops. Just staple it back. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> should we start with Crimson Elder? What your final thoughts and your score? Oh, you start with me so we can only get better, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be like RE7 and, and end on a sad note. I have to rate it in amongst the other games as well. I have to take into consideration. Far more interesting than just giving some mark out of 10. Place it where we think it is for you in, in terms of the other Resident Evil games. I think that'd be a yeah, far more better way to grade it. If I give it like a 7, then I'd also give 0 a 7 and I don't hold RE7 in that same regard, I think Zero is a much better game. For that purpose, I'm going to have to go with a 6. Yoke? I would actually give it a 7.5 out of 10. I don't see it as a great game or an excellent game. It's a good, good casual Resident Evil game. And to expand more on some of the stuff we talked about, going back to the bosses, I didn't see them as Resident Evil bosses. I saw them as pretty much archetypes of like horror series like jack was the slasher villain lucas was the saw villain and marguerite was crazy japanese horror i don't know puzzles were simple but i don't see that bad um story could have been better but really what did what what's been going on in the series lately that has been so good revelation series one thing really has been going on and pretty much i put that on par with resident Evil 7 story combat was good ending was eh, but we'll see about dlc Replayability, I think it has a decent amount of replayability. The achievements aren't horrible like it has been in the past. There's no kill a thousand mold. It's just use only the 
item box three times and stuff like that, which uh, kind of a fun little thing I did. Don't use the health item more than three times. Don't use the item box three times and beat the game within four hours. That's a fun little thing to do. Madhouse mode, I think, is all right. There's a couple of bad parts. They do change around enemy and item locations a lot. Like the uh, Scorpion Key, you actually have to buy with the coins. You don't find that. Uh, you also get two new items, a defense coin and attack coin. I've never used them, so I, do, I really don't know exactly what they do. I'm assuming one ups your attack, one ups your defense, but they have to be in your inventory. There's a bit more depth to it than just simply having less ammo and less health yes. options. There's still a good amount of health and ammo, especially if you have the x-ray glasses you can unlock before then. You can see everything. It's still challenging, though. And uh, one good thing is the item box is still linked, so that's I'm ha- I was happy about that because if that would oh yeah, bad, Shinji Mikami's original thoughts were to have that you know survival mode and to have the item boxes that were independent of each other. That would have been bad in Madhouse mode. That would have been real bad. Certain enemies do change, like um during the um barn fight, you actually fight two fat molded instead of one. That would be good because that was one of the letdowns for me when the boss battle. Oh, it's not fun on Madhouse. It's not. <laughs> it's not. And in the ship, there's about four more fat molded walking around too. The uh, spider molded, they're, they pop up sooner, if I recall. I've only played it once. I do not want to play it again. <laughs> Let's just put it that <laughs> way. What would you give it out of 10, and how would you sort of place it um, sort of in between the other RE games? 7.5 out of 10, good casual Resident Evil game. I would recommend this for like people who aren't sure about the, like the older Resident Evil games. Like, this is a good way to get into that path instead of like the action games. And uh, as for placement, I would put it, I would, I would put it with zero. I would put it with zero, but I really like zero. I understand the bad points to it, but I still had fun with it. My thoughts are very similar to Yoke's. If this game had come out after remake, or if this had effectively been Resident Evil Four, I would have had more concerns about it. A lot of my delight at this game is that I've been so starved at a lot of the features that, that it's had and and the style that it's had that I've really missed. I probably would have given it a 7 out of 10 then. Biggest letdown for me, as I say, were the boss fights towards the end, but the ones at the beginning I really enjoyed. Overall, the atmosphere, the sounds, the fact that it was stripped back, I think there were quite a lot of brave decisions Capcom made, bringing back item boxes. Yeah, a wonderful return overall for me to survival horror. I'd give it 8 out of 10. I I really, really did enjoy it. It does start going down as soon as you get to the mine, just because it seems like, oh, we got to get this game done. I like the mine because of the creepy sound. I ran through them. The guys who made RE7 are going to be making Remake 2. Ooh, I, 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 and that's, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a bright future, then. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the more promising things I've heard about RE2. Uh, Albert Wesker, 187, what are your final thoughts? Capcom outdid themselves in this game. They brought back a lot of survival horror aspects from other pre- present Resident Evil games. I like the fact that they made it. It made it first person. It's got like little puzzles that are not that difficult, but it still makes you go back and forth. All in all, Capcom outdid themselves. They still have that touch on them, and I hope they continue the good work. And the score that I'm going to give Resident Evil 7 is a 9.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. Whoa, so I wasn't the highest with 8. That's how much I love Resident Evil 7. And I forgot to mention also that it has a lot of replayability. I'm already in my fourth playthrough as it is, and I'm really looking forward to playing it more and more and more. So, I'm like I said... Capcom outdid themselves in this game, and they showed the world that they can still make survival horror. You know when you're walking around the household, the baker's house, and you'll hear just these really weird, spooky noises just for coming upstairs, creaking of the banisters and things, which for me really adds again to the atmosphere and shows that there was a lot of thought put into this game as well. 
this is like a really good crossover game for those who are maybe not ready for the old school stuff and into the action stuff. CC? Um, I'm trying to think of a way not to be too negative here. But Do it. I think as most of us are longtime fans of the series, we're all aware that the main storyline was fractured and no one knows how to fix it. So I see seven. Yeah, I I see seven as more of a reboot of Capcom kind of testing the waters and trying to decide which direction they need to go. I think it's a bit premature to say that the series is back to survival horror. I think we need to wait and see what they do with the next installments like, say, Rev 3 or 8. But they are definitely on the road, but they are not home. I think they have a ways mm. to go yet. So I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Oh, oh, that was that a really good review. Revelations three is going to feature uh, Billy Cohen and Rebecca Chambers from what my, from what my source told me. Has that oh, been substantiated? First, His source works with Capcom. His source also told him that there's another Wesker child alive. Oh, uh, fuck off. Laura. Yeah. I think Laura was <laughs> yeah. unaccounted for. There's another Wesker child alive. They were obsessed with Albert because of the power that he maintained, but he was telling me that Rebecca and Billy will be coming out in Revelations 3. Are they going to move in the direction of survival horror, though, or are they going to keep in that frame? If this doesn't sell well, I think we can we can kiss goodbye to, to anything that resembles this style of game. Jill Sandwich, what are your final thoughts? What's your review? Scores out of 10. And where do you see this fitting within the series and comparing with the other Resident Evil games? I agree with Yoke in in a sense where the, the whole, like, this is also for that uh, casual aspect of, of people that are possibly getting into it. The crafting was really nice. I thought that was a great feature, the, the scavenging and everything, like, you know, putting all that together, combining the item boxes were a nice return. Tape recorder, that's kind of like the typewriter. And it was cool. It was nice to see that. Uh, the combat was, you know, pretty cool. I like the fact that it was scaled back. You didn't get a, a big artillery. I like that there was no upgrading. I do like that as well. Um, the environments were cool. I like the environments a lot. They were pretty creepy. Uh, again, the boss fights were pretty forgettable. Didn't care about the characters. I think that they, what they could have possibly done, they possibly could have tried a lot more things with this one, considering it's kind of revamping certain things about the story. I feel like they could have tried just a little bit more at possibly making it, and maybe that has to do with the characters. Maybe I feel like that's why it could have been a little bit better. Um, maybe feeling that disconnect that I'm not really used to with the other characters. I'm not a fan of the DLC. I don't like paying more for a game I already got. The molded and stuff like that. I wasn't too big a fan of those. I thought the there could have been a little bit bigger of a choice. Um, but in general, I'd give it a 7.5 out of 10 after everything. Uh, I would have preferred this game to be fixed camera angles, to be perfectly honest, over first person. It's more of a of a casual game, but it still it still gave me enough to where I did enjoy it. It's definitely not like the best Resident Evil uh, ever. You know, it's not something that I would put anywhere close on my top list at all. Um, but I still think it, it's still a, uh, it, there's a lot of thought. And after Resident Evil 6, I think that this was a, a pretty nice step in, in, in a decent direction for the series. They're almost there. Like, I, I definitely don't think this is a return to survival horror. I really wanted to feel like it was more on that page. But like, I, I, playing it again is when I was just like, nah, they're, they're, they're just, they're just trying. Like, it, it was just not quite, not quite yet. When you say that, what, was it any, anything specifically that was preventing you from? Because that's the thing perhaps that differs between yourself and me and Albert Wesker, whereas we very much felt that remake survival horror. I got something for that. Okay. We, <laughs> hey, we have talked about remake throughout this podcast. Let me ask you guys this. 
Was there ever a moment in seven when you felt like you did in the moment when you had to electrocute the shark and jump into the water, walk around it and pick up that key? I was scared shitless. I didn't want to do it. Yeah, in the basement with the molded, and, yep. and the molded were yeah. coming out of the walls. Really? Yeah. Scare me that much. That. Uh, really? <laughs> a little bit yeah. in the boiler room, but the main <laughs> part I noped at was the kids' room. Oh, the yeah. On your way to get the D-series on, I, that's Absolutely. just my thing. I, I can't do the, the kid, like, creepy kids. kid thing. That I, nope. <laughs> Almost from fear, can't do it. Nope, not doing it. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I don't know if, if you know that, that, that fear that you get when you made more as a child when you're so scared you actually get get annoyed i was playing that section with my son sat next to me and when i went to go back into that little girl's room he was actually what are you what are you doing you've already been in there i mean (laughs) he was so so tense he didn't want to go anywhere near that room again and picking up the teddy bear and the mole just takes over it's like nope nope turn around now yeah and I like when you go into the when before you go into room, Evelyn, Evelyn is like, stay away. It's like, oh shit. The one thing that I really had a hard time dealing with was, um, I guess it's a closet that looked like the closet from Resident Evil One when a zombie jumped out. I kept yes. trying to inch away from it to continue <laughs> through the room. CC, you ask about what, when were we scared, and there were many times when seeing my own shadow scared me, and particularly on the oh, bunch of pansies. Weather. Whether you I'll are. get this on a third and fourth playthrough, <laughs> my first and second playthrough. No, I was in the basement and in the boiler room and around there. I was very scared. The part that scared me in Resident Evil Seven as well is when you're on the ship and you go into the locker and the enemy, the guy pops. I was like, "Oh, what the hell happened here? I wasn't expecting that." Even right now that I've played the game four times, there's still parts of the game that still freak me out sometimes too. Of course, like when somebody's chasing you um, in Resident Evil Seven and you can't see behind you, like of course that's intense. But that could be any game. The stuff that Resident Evil Remake did uh, to give it that uh, aspect, if, since we're going back to Remake a lot, and as we should, because that has very good uh, points of that horror aspect. I just felt, as environments were creepy at times, and there was little drops and hints at RS- in RE7 that gave me that feeling, I just thought that, you know, there was just a little bit, like, playing it again and and seeing and trying to, to see if I could find anything else out of that, pull it from, you know, the overall game, I just, I couldn't really pinpoint it. Maybe it was just the fact that it wasn't, fixed camera angles maybe something would have worked a little bit better maybe the format just didn't do it for me but i didn't find myself getting too creeped out 15 years old remake is 15 years from now you play re7 and tell me you still feel the same way about it well that's a good point and no it's, it's certainly not as good as that and remake nothing ever will be because you know that's almost no. the, the, the original the granddaddy it's and, definitive, and yeah. nothing's going to feel that fresh again ct as for me, I'm more, you know, to a casual gamer. I used to play a lot, so for Resident Evil 7, overall, I would give this game probably 6.5 out of 10. I feel like the game has changed a lot. It's like a revamp, but I really love the graphics so much. It's really, it's unbelievably beautiful. For me, it's really interesting. It's really nice to see how the game developed into another series that continue to blow everyone's mind, even though it seems very different. The gameplay, well, I'm not really a fan of first-person shooter, but I, I did enjoy that aim so much. I was hoping that it could be just like that aim, but I was wrong. It was like all first-person shooter, and we couldn't even see how Ethan Winters looks like. 
there was a part where Ethan got his mouth was shoved by a knife. I was very curious to see how he looked like after well, that happened. We were talking about that, and we believe that Ethan is infected. So we believe that maybe even though Jack did that to him, he was able to regenerate. Yeah, that that makes sense. So Ethan Winters is still a mystery to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully, the Japanese <laughs> translations and this new DLC is going to reveal more about everything. Or we have to wait till another game. Revelations 3, starting Ethan Winters.